like to call to order the City Council meeting of January 16th, 2024. Welcome back, everybody. Tonight is a meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely through Zoom or a telephone call. Clerk, can you please call the roll? Council Member Tim Chisholm. Here. Council Member Black. Here. Council Member Sweets. Here. Council Member Falcone. Here. Council Member Pascal. Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Here. And Mayor Curtis. Here. Our study session tonight is on two topics. The first is a review of the post-ballot measure community survey draft questions. <laughs> the second topic is on options for activating Houghton Park and Ride. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 7.30. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor, members of the council. So I have two pieces of good news to start um, since this topic is about the Houghton Park and Ride and the ballot measure. The first is we have now reached agreement with everything on WashDOT and our purchase and sale agreement, and they're in the process of signing their side, and we have a closing date of February 15th. So uh, we will soon have the Park and Ride in our possession. So I guess helpful context for tonight. Um, the second thing is that we actually are gonna be able to give you more time to figure out the community survey. So that's the other piece of good news. So uh, tonight we wanna to walk through the various survey questions and Hillary De La Cruz, our management analyst is gonna do that and Lens Wagstra, our parks director is here to help as well. But when we went back through, you saw in the memo that we said we we're gonna look hard at the timeline to see if we give the council and the community more time to get this community survey right. And knowing that this really is the conversation to have with the community and so we wanna make sure that it is uh, meeting the needs of the council so that you get the information you need. Uh, we think we can push back the timeline another week or so, and so we definitely want council's feedback tonight, but we think we have to the end of this week and maybe the first part of next week to really continue to refine with the hope that, that we could get a final one and have the survey out by the end of January. So the goal of all this, as you're about to see, is then to come back to the council with all the information of the surveys and the focus groups and the community outreach on February 20th, and then you receive all that information at the same time. Uh, so tonight we're looking for your feedback on the questions themselves or anything else that you want to share with us um, in the first topic. So here to kick that off is Hillary De La Cruz. Welcome, Hillary. Good evening, council members. Um, as you know, my name is Hillary De La Cruz and I'm the management analyst in Parks and Community Services. Um, and tonight my presentation has 13 slides for you related to the pool ballot measure follow-up via the post-ballot measure community survey. Um, so this is our updated timeline, as Kurt was just mentioning, a couple of shifts. And as discussed at the last council meeting, the overarching goal of this community survey are to learn um, why the ballot measure failed, what particular aspects of the measure were factors that led to voters voting no, why people who voted yes supported the ballot measure, and if a smaller, more focused pool funded with a time-limited levy that expires would garner more community support. So the last council meeting, we reviewed topics for the survey with council members and received your feedback about those topics. And that feedback was incorporated into the draft survey questions that are being reviewed tonight, which council received via email at the end of the day on Friday when they were ready. Um, so the updated timeline is here on your screens. And like Kurt mentioned, the new goal is for us to finalize the survey questions early next week so that the statistically valid survey can be in the field during the end of January. And after the statistically valid survey is complete, we would open the open link survey on the city's website. 
Additionally, you'll see notes about PFEC and Park Board meetings for feedback next week, and feedback from those two meetings will be shared at the February 6th Council meeting. And all survey results and feedback from additional conversations and qualitative input gathering will be shared at the February 20th Council meeting. Um, so the next eight slides contain the draft questions um, in the survey, and I'm going to go through each slide and share highlights. And if you have any comments or questions about a draft question, please feel free to um, share them at any point just so that we can stay on that. And I'll kind of give a little pause at the end of each slide to look for feedback. It's a little different, um, and I'll keep an eye out on the Zoom. Oh, excuse me. Um, so that, Sorry, yep. real quick. Do you mind going back to the previous slide? I just want to make sure, see if Council has any questions on the timeline before we get into the survey questions themselves. Great. I assume the qualitative data um, check-in with Park Board and PFAC is to do the same thing we're doing here. That's correct. We'll be asking them basically why they think it failed, what they would like to see happen in the future, um, and they're sort of suggestion and advice, and we'll bring that to the Council as part of the um, final package. So. Any other questions? Thank you, Hillary. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. Great. Continue, Hillary. Thank you. Um, so this, the first four questions are on the slide here. And the first one asks if someone lives in Kirkland. Um, if somebody does not live in Kirkland, they, they should live in Kirkland based on um, the data EMC research is pulling from. However, if they don't, then the survey would not continue. Um, and then for those who live in Kirkland, the next question is asking if they've heard about the um, indoor uh, proposals for indoor swimming pools, parks and recreation facilities in Kirkland recently. And then asking if they, if yes, what they've heard or seen as an open-ended response, which you know will potentially garner some interesting feedback from uh, being more open-ended rather than um, pre-prescribed. And the following question um, will ask if someone was able to vote in November 2023. Um, any questions or thoughts about these four? No questions. Great. So the next slides, um, the next question here, the first paragraph of text, I'm not going to read it out loud. You um, had the chance to see this, but it really explains what proposition was and asks the respondent how they voted or if they did not vote in 2023 or can't remember how they would have voted on the proposition. And then the following two questions will be asked of everybody and saying, you know, whether or not, regardless of how you voted, what was the best reason to vote? yes on, to approve this measure that someone heard. And again, regardless of whether or how you voted, what is the best reason to vote no to reject this measure? And so the hope for these two questions is that, um, you know, that will kind of share what, what top of mind reasons people were hearing out in the community or considering when they were making their voting choices. Go ahead, Hillary, no questions. Sorry, Councilmember Falcon, did you have a question? Oh. oh. Oh, I missed you. you. Sorry. It's okay. I figured I can hold it till later anyway. Um, is there a reason why we're just asking for a single reason here? I anticipate that some people may have multiple reasons that we may be interested in. Could we keep it a little bit, like still want their most important reasons, um, but maybe have the language so that it allows for more than one response? I know technically on the online it will allow for more than one since it's an open-ended. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to encourage if people might have like top two reasons, you know, it could be... I don't want to propose what they may be, but there's a multitude mm. of potential reasons that people voted yes or no. Yeah, we can um, definitely take that piece of feedback back to EMC. I think I think that the, probably the 
the main thing is just to kind of say, you know, what was that really, really top of mind reason, but maybe they'd have a way to word that, like you said, top two or what is the most, very most important to kind of distinguish from the later on the level of importance reasons. Thank you. Okay. Don't see anybody else. Great. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. Um, Are you guys messing with me tonight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple of comments on the on the questions. Um, one, there was a couple of places throughout the memo that used the word taxes without specifying property taxes. And I would ask that that be reviewed. Um, I'm not sure which numbers it was. On question 23, Oh, is this a PowerPoint? Doesn't move. Okay. Um, on question 23, um, it talked about whether people would support 150 a year, I believe. And I would suggest a supplemental question that says, you know, if if no, is there any amount you would support? I would try to differentiate between people that would support at 150 or people that would support no property tax increase whatsoever, ever. Right. So where, when we get to that, maybe we can follow up a little more. And certainly, the uh, Darcy can jump in on this. One of the challenges of doing the public survey is um, there's PDC guidelines about what you're able to ask and not ask. And one of the things that they don't permit you to do is hone in on tax levels so you can't like keep working your way down. You are allowed to test a specific thing. So we'd have to look at that to see whether we could find a way to word a question like that that met the PDC guidelines. Okay. Well, I, I guess I would be interested in differentiating. I'll defer to you on how to word, a, word questions, but the information that I want to obtain is how many people or what percentage of people are never going to be open to any property tax increase <clears throat> regardless of the reason or, you know, if it doesn't just doesn't matter why or the amount because there's a certain percentage of people that will not vote for property tax increase regardless of the reason or, or amount. And there's a couple questions that do get at that, but so we'll, we'll definitely see if we can get to that outcome for you. Thank you. Okay. Do not see anyone else. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the next question, and this is um, questions kind of 8 through 21, uh, this next two slides contain 14 statements that will, respondents will be asked to respond to on an agreement scale, and that would be um, one, strongly agree, two, somewhat agree, three, neither agree nor disagree, four, somewhat disagree, and five, strongly disagree. And so these questions will be read to all respondents regardless of how they mention that they voted, and they'll be in a randomized order. So. Um, on this on this list, they're in a certain order, and you might see a couple that seem very similar to one another next to each other, but there's slight differences in how the question's being asked that um, we, along with EMC Research, think will be helpful to really kind of te get into those questions that council wants to know about what really are those reasons for folks. And so, um, as you can see on this slide here, the statements... Um, I'll just read these ones out loud. Um, the proposed measure was too expensive. The proposed measure was too complicated. I did not like the measure that the measure would have created a permanent tax. There are too many other priorities in Kirkland that need to be addressed before explaining before expanding our parks, recreation, and aquatics facilities. 
Kirkland currently has enough parks, recreation, and community spaces nearby, and we do not need to build more of them with public dollars. Kirkland currently has enough pools and aquatic centers nearby, and we do not need to be build one with public dollars. And user fees should have been paid, or excuse me, user fees should have paid the full price of using the facility instead of having city taxpayer money subsidize operations. Any thoughts on this series of the, it's part one of the agreement question. For number 11, uh, there are too many other priorities that Kirkland needs to address, dot, dot, dot. Um, I would delete too many because there could be just a single other priority. Someone could think, <coughs> oh, like we need sidewalks, for example, or we need more traffic lanes or whatever. They may have a single thing. So I would just, I think that just deleting that still captures what we're looking for here. Great. Just to make sure I capture that correctly, just say there are other priorities. Great. Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, question on <clears throat> item 12. That that pertains to parks, recreation, community spaces. I'm just wondering. There's a lot of questions here. Is is that one that we could just remove because we're really interested in aquatic centers? Yeah, that's a great question. We as staff kind of went back and forth on this one as well. Um, and the part of the consideration was if we're really thinking about what it was that made someone vote a certain way in November, you know, part of the ballot measure did have those other investments in the parks and recreation community spaces. And so if that was the main reason that someone voted no, and they only wanted an aquatic center, we, we do ask that on the next slide, um, but just kind of trying to tease apart if that, if that happens for some people to be the only reason that they would have voted one way. Okay. Yeah, it'd be worth thinking about that a little bit more just to make sure we have a refined set of questions uh, that we're asking. And then, mm -hmm. so this is a two-part slide, right? Because you're going into yes. the other questions uh, after 14, but these questions relate to those. So like 14, for example, is very similar to 15 in some ways. So I'd, I'd ask that User fees, for example, uh, question 14, user fees should pay, pay for the full price of the facility instead of taxpayer money. But then 15 goes into whether the facility should be run by a nonprofit or operations paid for <coughs> membership fees. I mean, we're, I feel like we're splitting hairs there a little <coughs> bit. Uh, if you're someone that's not really in tune with how you operate facilities, I don't know how I would answer that. I would try to combine those t those two into one that's kind of more simplistic for the average uh, person. I think what we're, well, obviously take all this feedback back. I think what we're trying to get to here is that the city itself could charge membership fees sufficient to recover the full cost, right? Um, and one of the things that came up during the campaign was should the YMCA or another nonprofit run the facility? And there was some conversation that that was something that really mattered to people. So we're trying to distinguish that it's not only a nonprofit that can recover costs, and it's not only the city that can recover costs. So if you have an operating preference, we wanted to see if we could get that in the survey. So one was city does it and covers our costs with user fees, and the other is a nonprofit does it and covers costs with user fees. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. I just, I'm wondering if it's, is it that nuance with the public? Because oh. if I was the public, I'd just care what's what's it cost me. Right, does it cost you? 
I, I mean, I think that's the basic question, but I get it. I, I understand that. Anyone else? That's good feedback. Okay. Go ahead, Hillary. Oh, you're back. Oh, sorry. Councilmember Falcone. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a question or just a clarification for item number 19. We can't afford any more tax increases by now. I think this will be confusing for the respondent what the definition of we is. Does we mean the city? Does we mean my family, my household? Does it mean I? So I think we should specify, um, be a little bit clearer with, with what we means there. I'll just say, my family can't afford any more tax increases or the city of Kirkland can't afford the community, whatever that, whatever we're trying to get at there. Great. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> For question 18, where we ask about the 80,000 square foot indoor aquatic and recreation center um, and should not include the other items, I look at other items in that question as ambiguous. There was a discussion during the discussion of the ballot measure of whether there were items that were part of the recreation center that should not be included. There are also other items in the ballot measure from the Ben Hill Green Loop investments, the year-round restrooms, sports courts, et cetera. I think we need to clarify what we're asking here. Um, from my point of view, more important is the pool versus park question. So I'd recommend a clarification that says should not have included the other parks investments. Great, thank you. Member Tim and number 19, we can't afford any more tax increases right now is the one I was specifying that I thought should specify property taxes. And that's just because I think that people feel differently about property taxes than, for instance, sales taxes or other types of taxes. Thank you. Um, I'm going to follow up on Deputy Mayor's comment. We are going to have people uh, filling out this survey who are not didn't vote yes or no on the um, on the ballot measure. So I do think that more explanation about what was on the ballot measure would be helpful. And I, I thank you for pointing that out. Anyone else? Okay. No more questions here, Hillary. Great. Um, thank you. So I, I know we kind of jumped ahead, but I think it seems like you've shared all your feedback on these agreement questions. So we'll go on to the next slide here. Um, so sorry, can this, I? Just, I'm sorry to go back <clears throat> since we didn't actually just say it, but I just want to make sure everyone's okay with 21, um, which starts to get to the heart of the matter. Right. Sounds like they are, but I just wanted to. That's that's one of the big questions. I just, so I just reading that, we're assuming people understand what was on the ballot measure again um, and what type of facility and what types of amenities were included in that. Do we need to go into that much detail and just say, I support a new measure that only has a small indoor pool facility in the previous? Well, part of the reason I, I think we can, and we can, we'll talk about that after. Um, part of the reason I want to include the definition that 
the expansion to recreation pool and lap pool is that the kind of pool we are looking at that we test later on would have both those elements. So we did have a debate quite a bit about a pool facility or a two pool facility and thought, you know, it just gets a little hard to know what you're asking. So we thought we needed to call out both the recreation pool and the lap pool so that people know that's what you're getting. But we may not have nailed that exactly. So, but we wanna make sure it's clear that we're proposing a two pool facility okay. if, if the voters wanna take another shot at this. That's a, it's, a, it's a good point. I, the thing that I think about is when I talk, so in my conversations with the public, uh, what's been interesting for me is that I've had people come up to me unsolicited uh, asking me about this. You know, I don't actually go and ask people, and I will. I, I will do some, some folks, but I've had, this has been a very unusual situation where more people will come out and ask me about this. And I've never heard once anything about the type of pool or whether it's two pools or it was a lap pool or a recreation pool. It's all, all the entire conversation for, for those that have come out, it's all been about the cost and the size. Um, so I just, I just hope that we don't get so nuanced into specifics that we lose kind of the bigger picture of really what we're asking and what we're trying to understand and the, the information that we ultimately need to make a decision. Um, that's my worrisome is that, is that we, we, get too, we get too into the weeds and then we you know, yeah. don't really see, uh, get the information that we need to make a good informed decision. I think that's a really important point. And we're trying to stay a little high and not get too much into the weeds. I think we felt that for some people who want to support a pool, what the pool is does matter. So for example, swim teams and high school swimmers and master swimmers want to make sure there's a lap pool, but families, you know, seniors want to make sure there's a recreation pool. So we weren't trying to get really detailed, like eight lanes versus six lanes or that sort of stuff, but we did feel it was important to call out that there would be both of those things in there. But I think we need to see how long this takes, and it may be that's a place that we can trim it down. But, but that's why we tried to, tried to clarify that. Councilmember Tim Chisholm. Uh, thank you. I, I kind of uh, echo Councilmember Pascal's concerns that we don't get too far in the weeds and we have too many questions. And I mean, the bottom line is what percentage of people have the capacity to support any type at any point or any type of property tax increase whatsoever? And I don't know if that number is above 50% or not. Um, and we may want to take a step back and, and figure out how we do this. We've got a lot of questions here, and I do. Um, do wonder if this is going to give us the real basic information that we we need to know whether or not we should pursue this any further. Thank you. Councilmember Sweet. You know, my sense, my sense is that, <coughs> pardon me, for the specificity that we're looking for, more is better. Uh, admittedly, when I went through this, I got, I was being one of the people who have given me feedback at myself, and uh, <laughs> so I, so I wanted to make sure I wasn't ticking myself off by being so pro, by being annoying, with the probing, but I think it's. 
really the end game for us is we really do need to understand where people fell for this election. Um, otherwise, we will end up without the clarity that we need to know whether or not we should move forward or not. Anyway, that's all. Um, definitely hearing a concern about the length, so that's helpful, and we can definitely incorporate that and in making sure that people will go through the whole thing. Hey, Hillary, go ahead. Right. Thanks for all that feedback. Um, so we have a couple more questions that are part of the bulk of the survey. And so this question here discusses the three possible ways to move forward. Um, and this, this really aims to get the respondent's initial reaction before providing more details, especially more details about the cost, because we want to be able to test between this initial one and then this um, questions 23 and 24, which we'll go to in a minute, that add the cost in to see if there's a difference in someone's opinion when they hear about an idea and then when there's dollars put to that idea. And so this is naming that there's three possible ways to go forward, and then um, they would be read out loud. So one would be a measure for an indoor pool-only facility with a recreation pool and a lap pool funded by a nine-year tax that would expire um, instead of going on forever, and we can definitely add property tax there. Um, and the second one is a measure for an indoor pool-only facility with a recreation pool and a lap pool funded by a 30-year bond tax measure that would expire instead of going on forever. And the third option would be do not build an indoor pool-only facility. And then there's always an option for none of, none of these options, which for someone might might not might be different than just not wanting something. Um, they might say, I want a bigger some um, pool or something else that's distinct. Um, and then don't know or refused. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. You know I'm going to have a lot, my hand raised every time it's a survey. <laughs> um, okay, so I, in my opinion, this is one of the most important questions on the survey, and I think it's really important that we really get at what we're trying to get here and that folks really understand what we're asking, otherwise we're going to get meaningless data. So I have a few uh, pieces of feedback here. The first is that, as we all know, taxes are complicated and can be really confusing for people. Um, and so I suggest that we have a hover over on the web survey and a script at, of a you know, frequently asked questions description um, of these tax mechanisms. It's complicated, so that's not an easy task to do, but it's better than having nothing here. People are not going to understand you know, what a bond is, versus, you know, 30 year bond versus a nine year, like they're, they're not going to get that. And those are really important details that people actually essentially vote on. Um, and so I think we need to be really crystal clear there on what uh, options one and two really entail. I also think we should have an other option in case we want to hear anything else that's on people's mind that related to this. Maybe there's an option that we're not thinking of that folks are interested in. And I would like a why for these. I think it's really important if someone, we might get at some of those misperceptions about the tax, the tax mechanisms in the why if someone's like, oh, well, I don't want a 30-year tax because, I, I don't know, I don't know what the reasons may be, but they, we may come out that they misunderstand or we may really, to me, this is really getting at what we want to know. Um, and I think it should be more than just select one of the five options. I mean, can, can you elaborate just a little bit on the, the why question? Are you saying, like, explain a little bit more why nine years or explain a little bit more why yeah. 30 years? Is yeah, that... why you would support that, you know, over the other one. Just 
understanding what their rationale is. Because I think that might get at their understanding, right? So we really understand, you know, how to explain better and also we'll know whether we might, who knows what we might learn from that, right? But I do think it's really important to understand why people would support a certain type of ballot measure over another. So, and the general reasons, just to make sure that this is, we'd have to figure out how to say this, but the general reasons would be that both of them end, right? So we're trying yep. to test this non-permanent tax, and the other is that, so the benefit of the nine years is it ends sooner, but it's higher each year, and the benefit of the bond is that it's longer, but lower each year, so yep. something and like that. and that's exactly the kind of stuff I think should be in the description, and I think I say this every single time we do a survey, but let's remember that doing a survey is not just data collection, it's also messaging and communication to the community, and so I think that this is certainly an opportunity for us to help educate and clarify some of those differences in um, tax options as well. Thank you. Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I concur with Councilmember Falcone. Given a choice, I'm gonna to want to tax that expires sooner, but as city managers mentioned, we never do mention that the nine-year uh, tax would expire sooner because we're paying higher, and then it speaks to that, that, that particular background. It was un also unclear to me for option four until Hillary's narrative that we were wanting to use that as the opportunity for something different, and then none of the above kind of tells me don't do anything versus saying another option not listed or something. And I think we could clarify that to see um, if that's what the community's interested in. Because if that number popped, it would tell us, okay, we need to have much more community conversation to come up with a, a different solution here. And I'm not sure we'll get that answer given how that's worded right now. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, my question is um, both one and two, we say, funded by a nine-year tax that would expire, or we say funded by a 30-year bond measure that would expire. I'm just wondering why we just don't say expire, period, instead of going on forever. That seems like <laughs> extraneous words that were borrowed from the no campaign, so. <laughs> uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, I just wanna follow up. Thank you, um, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Um, that's what I intended by my add the other option, and I just want to make sure I think we're on the same page, adding an other and then a specify so that there's an open-ended box there so that they can say what that other thing is that they have in mind, if there is something. Thank you. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Mm. Go ahead, Hillary. Great. Thanks. So I, I imagine, um, so again, these, these two... And um, I'll, I'll share what I have, and I will definitely want to hear Council's feedback on how these two interact with the previous question you were just discussing, because um, these two questions contain more details about the possible funding scenarios and really put the price tag on each of them. And so um, the first option here reads out about the assuming the um, facility is located at Houghton Park and Ride and includes approximately 40,000 square foot facility with a recreation and lap pool and costs the average homeowner in Kirkland 15 cents per thousand of assessed value, about $150 each year to be collected for nine years, at which point the tax would expire and asks if you would strongly support, somewhat support, somewhat oppose or strongly oppose that proposal. And then the second one there um, takes the same size facility and that says that that is funded with a 30-year bond tax measure instead of a nine-year tax measure, and it would cost the average homeowner in Kirkland 6.6 .6 cents per thousand of assessed value, or about 66 years to be collected for 30 years. Um, and 
at which point that tax would expire. I just wanted to make one note, the underlying in, in 24 un, under tax measure, we intended it to say bond tax measure to mimic question 22, but that got dropped in the um, draft. And so we're adding those words back in just to make sure people understand that bonds are tax measures. Um, and so again, those both of those questions would be on that support to oppose scale. And these are currently in the draft, the last kind of main questions about uh, that besides demographics. And so I will definitely appreciate hearing council's feedback about these two and also um, just kind of want to, you know, Councilmember Rafael Cohen, especially and um, Deputy Mayor Arnold, in your comments about wanting to provide more details and ask why, um, why specifically with open-ended, how you might see that interacting with these three questions that we've just reviewed. Comments? Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I'm thinking about your question you just asked, so thanks for that. Um, are we allowed to say here that, given PDC guidelines, that we can that this is roughly, you know, what proportion it is of the November ballot? Can we say like, you know, that one of these would be like half of what the November ballot was annually per household? Because I feel like that, like in the voters' mind, if I was thinking like it was just too expensive, and then I realized, oh, this is the city is listening to us. This is like what they're talking about here. Maybe I would support it because it's like significantly less expensive, right? Um, I don't know what we're allowed to do, but I feel like as a survey respondent and as a voter, that would be really kind of a helpful framing if we could do that for these questions. Um, let us let us spend some time on that after uh, we were trying to get to that by saying what the first one was and what it costs and then to this, but it's it's a ways from there to here, so. It is, it's we'll probably see. be on a different screen if it's mm. on the web and it'll be like minutes ago, probably on the phone, so it may not really, be, that information may not be in their mind. Um, so it could be like, as a reminder, the November ballot was this amount, so this mm. is half of that or whatever proportion of that um, might be helpful. And Hillary, I'm thinking of answering your question. Can you repeat your question that you had for the deputy right now? Yes, I think um, specifically you'd asked for us to have kind of an open-ended why question for why someone was choosing one of the three options on the previous slide over another, as well as providing a few more details about the costs there. And so just wondering um, how you're seeing these three these three questions interacting and whether hmm. kind of this, maybe a why question would come after 23 and 24 to ask someone why they supported one of those more or less um, once they have the cost details, or if you'd want us to rework the question 22 that didn't have as many of the details. Thank you for um, restating that. Um, yeah, I do think there's some detail in questions 23 and 24 that would be helpful to have in, for folks in answering the previous questions. I also, something I was going to hold until the end, but since you're asking, something I've really been thinking about is just kind of the psychology of survey research and how we guide people to answer a certain way after we've already presented certain information and certain questions. If we really wanna know what do people want, right? We might not really get that answer after we've told them all this information and reminded them of the ballot measures and told, talked about some of the options that we're already considering as a city. Um, so something to think about is potentially really instead of asking the other on 22 or maybe in conjunction with it, um, having before question four a what do you want, an open-ended what do you want before we get into any of the questions. We've already had kind of the screener questions, do you live in Kirkland? Um, I would really be interested in top of mind what people are interested in before we potentially bias them with, again, 
whatever, because there's going to be the recency bias of whatever they just heard, whatever we, you know, shared with them um, that we might not really get at what we're looking for, and that may not be necessarily reflective of what they really want or what they would really vote for. So, um, again, I was going to say that to the end, but I think that's really relevant to um, to this conversation. So that kind of throws a wrench in those questions, but I do think we should take a step back and really think about what we want to know and what's the best way to get that information. Thank you. Can I, can I ask just, sorry, <clears throat> sorry, I was saying, because actually EMC had a question like that and we took it out. <laughs> so just in fairness to them as the, hmm. as the experts. But it was a question to basically say, what are your priorities? You know, what are, what are top of mind priorities? So you would hear something like transportation or schools or so. Is that, is that what you're looking at? Or are you talking about sort of pool focused priorities? I was thinking pool focus prior, like is or parks, you know, something of that nature. Just like, but I I can see the value in that, but I don't want it to be too broad, right? So I think it's really what we need is really what would be helpful for us as decision makers to really understanding what the community wants, right? Um, and what would be successful and how to best meet the needs and wants of the community. And so, I think given that this is focused on a potential pool ballot measure, I would be really curious to know specifically what would you like to see. You know, would you like to see a, you know, um, before we get, again get into all the details, what would you like to see as far as aquatics facilities in the city of Kirkland? We could provide prompts as well if needed, but um, I think having kind of an open-ended at the beginning, if I were writing this <laughs> as a survey methodologist, I'd probably recommend that. Okay. Deputy Mayor? Not sure if that comment was related to what Hillary's asking um, or in addition to um, Hillary, for your question about trying to get to the qualitative why somebody's answering, um, I would definitely or would support having that after uh, 22, 23, and 24 because coming into this, if I was just asked to survey, I'd actually be probably surprised to say, wow, there's a possibility that the city of Kirkland could build a pool for half price of what was proposed before, or with a 30-year bond, do it for a quarter of the price. Um, uh, and, and so not even knowing that's in the realm of possibilities, I would want to ask the, the why question after they've heard 22, 23, and 24. Hmm. Any other thoughts? One, oh, Deputy Mayor. One more comment, and just uh, this goes to what Councilmember Tim Chisholm was talking about at the beginning of the meeting. Can um, and I had brought this up in my conversations with the city manager. Um, I'm actually, kind of surprised we can ask to this level of specificity. And could you talk <clears throat> a little bit about what we're allowed to ask now that we're thinking about what happened with this compared to? any restrictions we were under last year when we were actually developing uh, a ballot measure and doing a, a uh, survey uh, last spring. Do you want a response on that? Oh, yeah. So again, working with uh, City Attorney Kevin Raymond on this, the, the public disclosure guidelines, I'll have to find the one that I sent to you, uh, Councilor Arnold, Deputy Arnold. Um, Does um, one of the permitted guidelines that you can do in a survey, the permitted says agencies may conduct community research with a lot of parenthetical statements about what kind, 
to determine the community's priorities for both programs and or facilities and their associated total costs and projected dollars per thousand assessment. So it does, in, in talking through this with Kevin, to say we are gonna ask you, would you buy this, you can say, but what you can't say is, but would you buy that plus 10%, would you buy that plus 20% and, and sort of zone in on it. You can't use it to get to a place that now 55% of the people said yes to this. There's a non-permitted section where they actually talk about that. You can't use it to identify levels of taxation. When we were doing the previous work, we were really focused on identifying what would be in the ballot measure, not what the ballot measure costs. So our questions were spent more on, do you like the Greenleaf Trail? Do you like you know, bathrooms um, for the parks? Do you need sports courts? So we could have probably asked one, but we're also looking at two or three different options still at 86,000 versus 103,000. So you can't, according to the guidelines, you can't ask all of those as a yes, no question, would you support or not support? So that's the reason we didn't have the actual tax levels in the last one, but we think we can have it here. But we had to pick a number, we're picking a number and a proposal, which we think is about the right size, but you can't, that's all you really can do is say, do you like this one, right? And then we have to infer from that whether it's a little too much or a little too less, right? Thank you. Any others? All right, go ahead, Hillary. Great, so um, this slide here just has the demographic questions and I'm not gonna read through them, but I will ask if you have feedback. Um, and these are the same demographic questions that we used in the 2023 ballot community survey that um, City Manager Triplett was just talking about except the new addition is number 25 of asking if someone voted in the 2023 election. So any questions about the demographics? And and you probably saw in your pack um, in the draft that we sent to you, most of these are open-ended demographics rather than someone having to choose based on a list that's read out loud to them. All right, I'm gonna mix it up. Deputy Mayor Arnold. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, question on why uh, North Juanita and South Juanita are separated in the neighborhood lived in. I know EMC has been doing research for us for a while, but um, I, and there's advantages for consistency with previous surveys, but I think we can move forward now that it's just the Juanita neighborhood. Councilmember Falcom. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I agree, Deputy Mayor. Um, question 25 that was added, didn't we already ask that in question four, whether they voted in the November 2023 election? That was previously asked, and EMC still had it in here, but I can ask them why they duplicated it. Yeah. I would be curious if we already have that information. I wouldn't want to ask it again. Um, 26, I don't know that everyone will know what neighborhood they live in. Um, there are people who live really close to boundaries. Not everybody's engaged in our neighborhood associations, believe it or not. A lot of people don't pay attention and don't know what neighborhood they live in, so I would propose that we have... Um, a map or some sort of way for folks over the phone to be able to ask the interviewer which neighborhood they live in based on cross streets or address or something of that nature and then um, have like a hover over map or something on the web survey so that folks can uh, determine which neighborhood that they live in. Um, and then question 33, why are we asking about education? The other ones I can kind of like get a sense of how that's relevant. I'm just not sure. Um, even among, I was thinking like maybe it's because we're doing like stratified random sampling or quotas or something of that nature, but I'm not sure how education would be relevant even there. Um, and education is something that could be sensitive and could also, there's just, it's, there's just a lot there, right? In asking about education. So unless it's something that's uh, a really pressing need, I'm just not sure why we're asking about education. So I would just 
challenge us um, to think about that. All right, that was it, Hillary. Thank you. Um, we'll take all that feedback back to EMC, and I think those will be changes we can implement. Um, and this final slide here for the questions um, is a little subject to change, um, depending on the exact type of potential follow-up we're going to be doing, um, which will kind of you know work work through the next few days while we're finalizing the questions. But it's really asking um, in response to council's ideas last time from asking at the end. You know, can we ask um, previous to this? survey respondents won't be asked their information and the city would not be able to get know who responded. So this is asking if people want to opt in to provide some additional feedback, either through a focus group or potentially through some other follow-up calls. Um, and so if people are interested in, in participating in an upcoming focus group discussion as it's currently worded, but again, we might shift that a little bit, but if they're interested in providing more information and more of their um, time to the city to understand deeper about their question answers, then they can opt in and provide their contact information. Um, and then the, um, the last st sentence on, at the very bottom, everybody would be and, um, hearing that. And so it's just thanking people for their time in the survey and mentioning that their input is going to help inform the city of Kirkland as it works on its um, as it works to provide improved parks and recreation services throughout the community. Councilmember Falcone. <laughs> thank you, Madam Mayor. Just keep my hand up. Yeah. Um, thank you for mentioning about the other potential modifications to question 35 about maybe doing interviews. I think just doing focus groups, especially saying here that it would be a two-hour commitment, um, could be something that folks would screen out of and not be able to participate in. You're probably going to get folks who are already really engaged and, and have that ability to spend two hours of their day and during a focus group. So I think having the option of, you know, a 10, 15 minute uh, phone call uh, and adding that here would be great. Um, also, just generally, since we're at the end here, uh, I have a question about our sample. Is our, our, I assume our sample is registered voters. Is our list registered voters? There's a lot of language in here that is making assumptions that folks are registered and eligible, eligible to vote and registered to vote. Um, and that has all kinds of equity issues uh, intertwined with that. So I just want to make sure um, that we're clear on what our sample is and, and who's on our list um, before we move forward with some of these questions and the language and the questions. Um, also would love to see us do a little bit more work on the introductory text. Even though this is a third party um, company doing the research, they're still doing it on behalf of the city of Kirkland. And again, this is a touch point. This is a communication opportunity with our residents. Um, and so, I would love to have us um, state something there um, about why we're conducting this research that we care about hearing from the community, something along that nature, just a, a sentence or so there, um, just to have a, a softer and a warmer um, kickoff to the interview would be, uh, could make a big difference in setting the stage for the context of the interview. Thank you. Thanks. Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So I think we're winding down on the analysis of the specific questions, and I just wanted to uh, share like an overarching comment, which is not that different from the last time we spoke, but um, again, what I'm really looking for, and I guess I'm looking for this from EMC as our uh, experts on crafting um, a survey, but what I'm really going to be looking for in those results is um, an understanding of, uh, of the, um, 
of what we actually have out there in the way of public opinion in the sense that we've done a pro we did a I don't know I'm gonna say a two years you know pros plan uh, we developed that over two years uh, we did community surveys last year in the lead up to this uh, the November election uh, we uh, consulted with our our parks um, our parks board we had PFEC, 45-some members, look at this for eight months, uh, spending hours with the, uh, with the staff, not only understanding the options and the design, but also the funding mechanisms um, and the priorities. And in all of that, it's, it seems pretty clear that we have a majority of residents who want a indoor pool facility, uh, yet we have the results of a November election in which they, uh, a majority of voters don't want, didn't want to pay through it through that particular measure. So what I really want to understand from the experts at the end of the day, without getting into the detail of the questions, is I want to make sure that when I see the results that I'm going to, there's going to be something I can look at that very clearly um, it helps explain um, those who favor having a indoor pool facility but are voting no on this property on a, on a property tax measure. Um, and that's, I just want to make, if it, it, we don't have to answer that question now, I just want to make sure that that's being considered. And I would love to have um, a better understanding, even if it's uh, offline discussion with staff, just really want to make sure I'm going to be able to see in the results, uh, the answer to that question. Cause I think that's really the heart of the matter. Um, a majority of our residents want to pool, but a majority of residents don't want to pay for it through a property tax measure. So really making sure I understand that. And, I, and, I, and just to uh, uh, tie that off, I think that's part of why the focus groups and the interviews and the qualitative feedback are going to be really important. Uh, I said that last time. I'll say it again. Um, and so with that, I'll stop. But if I could, yeah, so uh, just really important to me to understand that. Thanks. Councilmember Pascal. That was helpful, Councilmember Black, because I f I f I'm feeling the same way. I'm feeling that that it, that if you look at the voters that voted no in November, um, sixty percent roughly that voted no, forty percent that uh, that approved. You have to convince about twenty percent of those no's to change their vote. So, is this survey going to help us? Or are we kind of starting over and then having to make an informed decision based upon this on whether or not we're going to get um, you know, two out of ten voters that voted no to change their vote? That's that's what I'm looking for um, because otherwise, if if we're not feeling confident about that, it's a lot of it's a lot of expense, a lot of resources, <coughs> a lot of energy, a lot of time. To go through this process again um, and reach the same result, so that's that's what I'm looking for. And however we can do that the best and provide the information to make that informed decision, you know, that's that's what I hope we get from this. Anybody else want to talk before Councilmember Black goes to the next panel? Thank you, Madam Mayor. I should say, anyone who hasn't already talked more than once want to talk before Councilmember Black speaks for the second time. Um, <laughs> um, I did want to clarify one thing. Um, just uh, both, I think, you know, main for, mainly for the public um, who is listening uh, as we discuss this important topic. 
Um, what I said uh, before, it, it really is critical, and uh, what Councilmember Pascal is talking about truly is important. At the same time, I, um, if we can uh, get important data, like what I'm describing from this survey, um, you know, the effort is has merit in the sense that it is not. I do not feel it's my job to take options away from the voters of the city of Kirkland. If the voters of the city of Kirkland want to have a pool, then in some ways I think if we can do it in a, in a, in a fiscally responsible way and inclu including putting that measure in front of the voters of Kirkland in a fiscally responsible way, um, I think that's our duty. Um, and I know, you know, we'll hear, uh, we'll hear some from folks that say it's a waste of time because there was, um, uh, you know, there was already a vote in November, but we're, none of the options we put in front of the voters since 2015 have been the same options. Um, and I think, and we, unfortunately, we really only put one option in front of our voters at a time. Uh, but I think it's important for us to give voters uh, choice. And so I just want to make that point too, um, in case that sort of ends up become part of the narrative is that um, the city's not listening and the city is, um, you know, uh, yeah, the city's not listening. I think this is really the city listening because this is the city listening to the majority of have an indoor pool facility um, and giving want to have an indoor pool facility um, and giving our um, uh, our voters an opportunity again to um, you know through um, by us using these important survey results. Uh, structuring a proposal uh, that might meet all of their needs. So I just want to make that point too. But that's why this survey is so important. So thanks. Thank you for that. Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I agree that the qualitative research is going to be really key here. That's why I proposed it at our last meeting or last time we talked about this because I, I really want us to have that follow up. And part of that is I think it's really important in who we select to fault. Part of it is self selecting, right? People are agreeing to do it. But of those, who we select and being strategic about that to really get at what we the information that we need uh, to you know the comments of some of my colleagues here about those who um, do want to pool but voted no before like uh, uh, teasing that out and making sure we're being really strategic about that um, and also what questions we're going to ask in the follow up interviews I think that's really key so I personally would love to see those um, and give input on those um, I'm not sure the best mechanism since we have kind of a tight timeline but um, if I'm the only one and I don't know if anyone else is interested I personally am so. I would love to um, have a conversation about that or uh, at least an email. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a um, helpful conversation for me. Um, I came in on the city council you know, recently, so I haven't had a background in this. I endorsed Prop 1. I was in favor of Prop 1. Prop 1 got too big and sunk. When we ask these questions and we move forward, at a certain point, I want to start looking forward to what's next and stop looking back at what happened with Prop 1. And I think whatever goes on the ballot, if something goes on the ballot ultimately in the future, I think it's going to have to look revolutionarily different than Prop 1. And it's not going to be able to be a refined or tweaked version of the same prop. So. I want to look, I'm going to look at these draft questions again. I'm going to look at this again, but I, I, I want to start hopefully thinking about this differently in a new light moving forward 
and put something on the ballot that, that people are not going to say this is a condensed version of Prop 1. I still don't like it. I mean, something where the funding comes from different sources um, and not solely from property taxes. I think anything we put on the ballot has to have different funding mechanisms. And I'm not sure if my comments are even really that helpful for your draft questions. But thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Any other final comments? All right, Henry, do you have more? So if I could just, just add one, oh. one quick thing. Um, so this, this has been really helpful. And I think we, our goal is to get you all the clarity. Um, if you think of a question between now and next Wednesday that you think would also get to that, please don't hesitate to send us to us because we know this is your first real shot at this, right? And so, um, because the community has a way of not always giving you clarity even though you ask. So, for example, if you got 51% of people said yes to that question, that's still going to bring a policy question back to you, right? Or if 49%. So, uh, but we are trying to make sure we ask the questions that we think will give you the answers you need to make a decision. So if we didn't nail them, we definitely would welcome your feedback over the next few days. Well, thank you, City Manager, because that was going to be my question before we move on to the next phase, Hillary, is you've received a lot of feedback. And so how do you picture these next steps? Are you going to send us out draft questions again? Yeah. And then we'll provide feedback to you. Yeah. All right, and I think you all saw... Um, I sent an email out earlier that we did share the survey questions with uh, Ken McKenzie, who was, ran the No campaign, and Susan Papalardo, who ran the Yes campaign, and asked for their feedback. We did get feedback from both of them that we'll pass on to you. Um, we'll also take a look at that, and we certainly welcome your thoughts on their feedback as well. So we're trying to make sure that we capture everybody's ideas to make the survey as good as possible to get the answers that we need. Well, and I'm also thinking we may get some feedback from PFEC when we meet on that Tuesday, the 23rd. Yeah, at that point, the survey will be done but and in the field, but we will definitely get their thoughts on what we should be doing, right? That's the, that's the goal. So, and I'll let, uh, so I'll let Hillary finish her thing, and then we'll do final questions or, or comments. Thank you. Hillary? Right. Um, so this slide, we've kind of covered this a little bit, but I just wanted to um, share, you know, this shows the two feedback methods, quantitative and qualitative. Um, and so the Additional qualitative um, feedback is current in the current draft. There are three open ended questions of a statistically valid survey. Um, and I know we have comments asking for a few more. And then in the open link version of the survey that we'll have on the city's website, we were planning on having additional question boxes that kind of say, why did you think this just after um, series of questions? Um, and then the PFEC and park board meetings. Like we mentioned, and having some listening session or focus group or follow-up calls or interviews with some survey participants and additional community members. And then I'm going to skip ahead. Um, this is kind of the final or the next steps in timeline for council exploration slides. This is a little bit updated from what I shared last week. The biggest change being, of course, like we mentioned earlier, um, February 20th would now be the date where you will receive all of the survey results and then have a conversation about and decision about whether to explore a ballot measure for August 2024. Um, and that, again, is not, not council saying we are going to go to the ballot, but it's saying we want to keep this conversation open. Um, and if continuing, there would be some budget requests for funds related to the additional concept plans and cost estimate work. Um, and nothing else on this slide has really changed much, so I 
Um, don't think I will go into that, but if you have any other questions about this slide or anything we've discussed, this is my final slide for this presentation. I think we've asked all the things we want to ask so far. So thank you, Hillary. Great. Thank you for all your feedback. In case I didn't answer your question clearly, yes, you will get another shot at the questions after we incorporate all this feedback. We'll, we'll email them back to you. So. Thank you. All right. Shall we move on to our next agenda item the study during study session, which is the Houghton Park and Ride Activation Options? Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So the purpose of this tonight is your first discussion of potential activation options. This is no decisions have been made, but we're looking for did we get uh, this right? The goal here is how can we positively activate the Houghton Park and Ride once we own it while we're figuring out whether or not there's a ballot measure, and even if there's not, what would be the permanent use of the park and ride site? Um, in the meantime, since we did purchase the park and ride with a substantial amount of uh, park impact fees, there's a big focus on park uses um, in this go-round, but all of these ideas were designed to be truly interim. They will, could be temporary and can be easily moved um, and replaced by structures or other programs. So uh, that was the goal behind this, and so we welcome Council's feedback. Welcome, John. Welcome. Good evening, Council. Uh, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor. Uh, it's been a while since I've presented in person, so please bear with me. It's been a while. It's nice to have a little note screen right in front of you. So, um, as City Manager Triplett uh, mentioned, we are here to discuss uh, potential ways to activate the Houghton Park and Ride site. Um, I have 22 slides to go through. Most of them are pictures um, that are pretty easy to get through. Um, so, uh oh, yeah, look where I'm look where I'm clicking. Also, part of the challenge of being back in person. Um, so with Prop 1 not passing, what we are looking to do is figure out the best way to utilize uh, the Houghton Park and Ride site, um, as City Manager Triplett just explained. Um, so tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a variety of different options that we've put together um, for your consideration. Um, and we're basically asking what, if any, of these options or other options that you, you may have heard or come up with, um, would you like us to further de develop and refine and, and come back with a uh, specific funding request at a future date? So at a high level overview, uh, Parks and Community Services came up with a variety of different ways that we could utilize the, the, Houghton, the Houghton Park and Ride site. Um, those include pickleball courts, skate park, uh, bike amenities or, such as a pump track or traffic garden, um, recreational programming, community programming um, and events, as well as other potential usage um, throughout the city that we heard. Uh, the fire department has expressed interest in using the site for some training. Um, and then we've heard from our CIP group that the um, contractor uh, working on the 405 85th Street interchange is interested in using some of the site for potential storage and lay down um, space. Um, in a minute, I will go through and, and provide a little more detail on what some of these amenities or options could uh, entail. Um, but I want to start with a little bit about how we came up with the different options that were proposed. Um, Which page is too fast? Um, so primarily these came from what we've heard from the community. A lot of that is based in, is rooted in the pros plan. Um, so there are specific goals uh, or objectives and actions um, that specifically mentioned skate parks and pump tracks and additional recreation facilities um, to meet the needs of the community. 
pickleball is mentioned, I believe I, when I searched it um, in the digital version over 90 times or 80 times in that range. Um, and it was specifically identified as one of the least met needs in, of the community um, during the, the, the survey. Um, we continue to get comments about needing more pickleball courts and trying to find ways to better serve that community. So that's why you'll see pickleball courts in, in this uh, presentation. Um, the active transportation plan actually references traffic gardens as a great way to educate kids on um, how to use their bike and practice in a safe environment while navigating the roads and um, knowing that we are actively uh, promoting um, all sorts of different transportation, not just vehicle transportation. We felt like this was a good option and way to utilize the site um, and kind of dovetailed nicely with some of those other recreational amenities. Um, and then additional community feedback that we received. Countless queue alerts, community feedback um, through emails. Sometimes it's messages you guys have forwarded to us. Um, Youth Council, Park Board, um, and, and the, the like have, have made similar recommendations. So that's really what's rooted in how we came up with these proposals. Um, it wasn't just a bunch of good ideas that we had. Um, we're really listen, trying to listen to the community and find ways to utilize the site um, as best we can. So I'll start with pickleball courts. Um, and I really, uh, pickleball courts were included in Prop 1. Um, we had planned on using the Houghton Park and Ride site to build those pickleball courts. Um, so that it still would have been a ways off for, for those new pickleball courts to, to be built. Um, but we do believe that the location is still a prime location to be considered for um, these, for potential usage of uh, pickleball in the interim while long-term plans are developed. In the memo, I mentioned three different types of courts, um, pop-up or temporary courts, um, what I'm calling semi-permanent um, courts that would be made of asphalt, um, which those are the top two pictures, um, this, the pop-up court on the left and the asphalt court on the right, and then permanent courts, which is more just there for a comparison. Um, the, the lower picture there is Everest Park. It's our three-court pickleball complex that was one tennis court at one point. Um, really to kind of frame the difference of what a semi-permanent and a permanent court is. Um, those are poured in a very thick slab of concrete, have fencing in between all the courts, professionally painted all the way across the, the entire surface, um, and are built in a much more robust, long-standing way, whereas the semi-permanent courts would be relatively permanent, but could be easily moved and wouldn't be as big of an investment of, say, I believe the, in the ballot measure it was about 300, 380 range for the permanent courts. Um, whereas we're proposing significantly less than that. Um, so a little bit more about the different types of courts. The, the temporary or the pop-up courts would be a thin acrylic sheet. It's actually five pieces that would be taped together um, and rolled out over the existing parking lot or a sub, uh, subfloor surface um, that would be optional. Um, this was the same system that was utilized for the Pickleball for All event, which is the, the event pictured in the upper left picture over in Seattle last fall. We actually ran into the guys um, at the National Parks Convention this last fall, and they, they talked to us about that. Um, because of the nature of this product, we're not really recommending it be used for long-term general usage. Um, it's a mat. It could blow away in the wind, so we'd have to figure out a way to secure it down. We'd have to make sure that the site is, is ready to be used. Um, and just some of the challenges there. Um, but it would be a perfect type of surface for pop-up events or short-term um, limited use. Um, so just wanted to make sure that was, that was known. Um, the semi-permanent courts we would build out of asphalt on the existing site. Um, we would work with Public Works to mill the existing asphalt into a more level surface. One of the big challenges of this site is that it's not level. 
Um, so regardless of what you do with, for courts, you're going to want to try and make them level, or you're just going to have some unlevel courts and people aren't going to be happy with the product you put out there anyway. Um, it's, it's an option, just not a good one. Um, um, you could do like the picture shows, just paint basic white lines on the, the asphalt, um, or for a little bit more, you could uh, overlay the, the surface with the, the acrylic coating like you see on the permanent courts down below. Um, for general open use, if we're looking to add more courts for the community to use on an ongoing basis, um, in a short term or temporary basis, I would recommend the, uh, the semi-permanent asphalt courts as shown. Um, I'm gonna go into a little bit of cost comparison between the two. Um, again, we're not really considering permanent courts at this point, so I'm really just comparing the pop-up courts and the, the asphalt courts. Um, that rollout surface, we got a quote, it was $8,900 plus tax and freight, which they'd have to calculate out the, the freight um, once we determine how much we order and what we would do. Um, and that's just for the thin, the sheet um, product. If we wanted to go with that subfloor panel that would create a perfectly smooth area, um, that would be another $12,000 per court. Um, a portable temporary net and some of the surround panels that you see in that, that image um, would cost approximately $2,500. So each court you're looking at about $23,000 plus tax um, to build for a pop-up court. Um, a semi-permanent semi court, we've got a rough estimate from Public Works for the, the square footage of asphalt. Kind of the high end of things, they quoted 15,000, but it could be less. Um, depending on, on the actual site conditions and, and the work they do and how much, how much it actually takes. Um, so we're, we're estimating it out at the high end. Um, the acrylic court painting that I mentioned, which is optional, would be an additional $3,700 um, per court. And then the same net, surround panels, other accessories um, is that $2,500 number um, for a total of about $21,000 per court. Um, what we are proposing or recommending would be to install four of the semi-permanent um, asphalt courts as shown on the site. Um, one of the, aside from being, the court being level, one of the other big considerations with pickleball is proximity to the neighbors. And so we're trying to site these courts not close to our residential neighbors, although they are still fairly close. Um, angling them in this direction or orienting them north-south like this will help because the sound typically tends to travel north-south um, with the, the courts. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's not as bad to the sides. Um, so we've, we've identified this location. It's one of the flatter locations on the site. Um, and it is also, um, it just works with some of the layout. So in theory, or what our, in total, what we're proposing is about $100,000 to be dedicated towards um, developing these pickleball court options. And that would include benches, trash cans, uh, picnic tables, and some seating. Um, just some general nice to have amenities um, around the site. The, uh, the next big proposal we've developed is um, a skate park and some additional bike amenities. Um, we feel like this is actually a perfect site for this because it's large open. Um, it's a hard surface already, so it doesn't need to be perfectly flat or smooth um, based on the nature of, of skating and biking. Um, we're proposing modular elements, and I'll, I'll go through the next bunch of slides have these pictures mostly blown up um, so you can get a sense of what we're looking at. These modular elements are able to be just placed on the existing surface um, and for the most part don't need to be secured into the ground. If we do things like railings, and I, I can point some of those out, um, those would get concreted into the ground, but they're pretty easy to remove. Um, the beauty is that these could be picked up and moved at a future date. They could be sold at a future date. 
Um, and it's not reworking the entire site to develop a, an in-ground skate park or an in-ground pump track. Uh, it's really utilizing the existing landscaping um, as it is. Um, the memo provided several conceptual designs with cost estimates. What I'm gonna show here is some actual real-world examples, so you can actually get a sense of what they look like and kind of compare it to the, the size, because some of those drawings are hard to see what you're looking at um, when you don't have something to reference it to. So this is a modular skate park. It's actually in Florida. Um, it's about the size of one basketball court when you compare it to the, the space behind it. Um, and you can see you can get a fair amount of elements on a pretty small site. A um, little different, uh, different types of things. You got a half pipe over here. This is the railing that I was talking about. So we'd installed like a grinding rail. You, those don't have anything to sit on. You'd have to anchor those into the concrete. Whereas this element just sits on top of the surface. Um, and this is a skate park. It's, uh, where's this one? This one's in Canada. Um, I picked this image. It's a little dark on the screen up top here, but it was really to show that it can be done on an asphalt parking lot, um, because that's what this was, um, with some barricades around it. Um, again, another modular uh, skate park. Um, this one's in Ohio. Again, just really trying to show the variety of different types of features and amenities you can include and the, the size and space you need. Um, this one's actually in Covington, if anyone's interested in driving down there. Um, apparently the mural does not look any very good anymore, but um, it was really cool for the pictures. Um, Getting into a few of the other options, these are, this is a uh, modular uh, pump track um, set up on from some fairly rough ground. So I selected this image specifically because of the, uh, the condition of the surface um, to show that it really doesn't matter for this, this feature, um, the, the subsurface. Um, in the background of this image, there is a, a skate park that they also included um, that does appear to be on a little bit nicer concrete, but, um, and then alternately, this pump track is put on uh, wood chips. And so kind of sh highlighting the multi-use nature of this down the road, if and when we utilize the, the Houghton Park and Ride site for, or when permanent options are developed, this is kind of showing you can relocate the pump track or any of these other amenities. It doesn't have to be a large parking lot to, to put those on. Um, a lot of the pictures actually show them just on grass, um, but I tried to get pictures that were matching more our um, scenario. And then finally utilizing the, the, the space um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, using, using some of the space for a traffic garden or bicycle playground. And those can be as simple or as complex as you want. And so there was the, on the collage slide, there was a very professionally done um, traffic garden. The one on the left here, it's simple spray paint on the ground. Um, so it can be very, very simple. They've got some small signs um, that they, they made up and some, some planters to help trying to make some features for the kids to ride around. Or it can be a gigantic use of a, a large parking lot. You can really develop it as complex um, and as detailed as you, as you want. It's really kind of sky's the limit in that regard. So I really wanted to just highlight the difference um, and that, that those can be as simple or as complex as you really want to make them. Um, what we are proposing is to utilize the north half of the northern half of the site um, to uh, allocate that space for the skate park, the bike, uh, and the bike amenities. Um, based on the conversations we've had with the vendor um, that produces these, these amenities, for a budget of about 350, we should be able to get plenty of features and plenty of amenities and be able to work with the existing uh, topography and, and layout of the parking lot. Um, whether that means we leave all the existing islands in place or we work around them, 
Uh, I think we could do that. So that, that is our staff proposal is to utilize this portion of the site for the um, skate park and bike amenities. So those are the two big uses of the top half, yes. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, John, can you go back to the previous slide? Uh, my curiosity has the better of me. Um, so if I'm overlaying um, the park and bike amenity area and I'm overlaying the, um, the pickleball courts on it, I see what is, looks like maybe 45, 50 parking spots. Is that, is that about right? Yes. And we and the idea that that the parks department's proposing right now is we would leave those as mm -hmm. somewhere forty five. Got an overview slide that'll combine all these various pieces in a second. I should have done that as I perfect went. Uh, that's yeah, just lower, what I was this curious lower about. Lower quarter would be parking. And then of course, and just for the public who's listening or here in the room, uh, we're obviously only looking at half of the uh, parking ride right now. So there's a whole another southern half of the parking ride. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Councilmember Tim Chisholm. Uh, Thank you. Uh, there are three pickleball courts at Everest, correct? Mm -hmm. And I'd just be interested in what their use looks like and if they're heavily utilized or... They're very heavily utilized. I don't have the exact numbers, um, but they are very heavily utilized and they get um, quite busy in the afternoons. Um, and one of the complaints we get is that it's hard for new people to get on those courts because the, they, have, they are such nice courts that people come from the area around the... out of Kirkland from surrounding neighbors um, to utilize those courts because they, they do like them so much. Oh, we should check their residency before we let them on. The <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Thanks, John. You're welcome. So in addition to utilizing the, the site for um, those two kind of ongoing public recreation uses, um, we, we identified several different um, recreation and community programming opportunities that we could add. Um, whether that replaces um, or relocates existing activities to this site or is additional um, is yet to be determined. Um, oops, didn't go into much detail on this slide. Um, okay, so I pictured a whole bunch of different, different options. Um, we would be able to utilize the um, pickleball courts for pickleball camps or tournaments, um, events, or anything of that nature. Um, upper left, I, I found a picture that looked like a skate camp, so we'd be able to offer skateboarding camps um, and, uh, and skateboarding lessons, perhaps, pickleball lessons. Um, one of the challenges for both of those programs, we do offer pickleball programming and skateboarding programming. Anytime we schedule that programming, it takes away from the general open use of those courts or the, the skate park. Um, and that is one of the bigger complaints we get, is that we're programming the use of the courts during the peak time that everyone else wants to use the courts. And so trying to find that balance, um, these courts would allow us to, um, to utilize, to have some open opportunity for the public while still providing some programming lessons, um, competition, et cetera. Um, some of the other things that we identified that I mentioned in the memo, chalk art festivals, um, trunk or treating type events. Um, we could host food truck festivals, food truck events, um, uh, community flea markets or community sales, um, and, and really, I did have one other. Um, another idea that was, that was mentioned was like recycling events, like we've done the styrofoam recycling up at NKCC, we could utilize the site for that. Um, 
So that's a lot of the recreational programming, but allowing um, drive, we can host more drive-in movies out there. I ran out of space, so I didn't want to put pictures for everything, but I wanted to mention a lot of things, so. Um. John, before we move into the second half, can we see if there's any comments yes. or questions on the recreation? Anyone? Councilmember Sweet? Yeah, I, I like the concept of leaving enough space open to create activities. Um, I think that, you know, before, at some point in time, we're gonna master plan that place and know more than we know now. But it's come up a number of times, the idea of community flea markets. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Councilmember Nixon was very excited about that concept and we talked about it. Well, this upper right picture was intended right. to convince. And I've seen those in other communities. They have one in Leavenworth every weekend in the summertime. Every and it is just, map it is wildly successful. Anyone else? Councilmember Falcon? Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, overall, I think this is exciting to see this stuff. This is stuff that the community wants. Um, it's exciting that there's this potential opportunity to do some of these things. Um, as we know, these are um, great uses and maybe not the best uses long-term, right? Because we talked about how we're gonna be doing long-term planning. Um, I think folks are gonna get so excited that I'm concerned that people will feel like we're taking away these cool things once we um, move into the long-term planning. So I just, want us to, I just want us to be really mindful of that as we move into this, that we are very crystal clear that these would be temporary uses, maybe even have signage, that this is the all caps temporary <laughs> skate park. And, and then like in the very near future, start conversations about, well, obviously depending on some of the conversations we had earlier tonight and what happens in the future, um, starting the long-term planning for this site in the near future so that the community's involved in those conversations and isn't confused and understands that this is just temporary, these uses, and conversations about where we could better meet these needs in other spaces throughout the city, like where we could put pickleball courts and, and bike stuff. Um, I'm also, I'm just excited about all of it because it's really cool stuff. Um, I had similar questions about the recreation and community programming about like where would that actually happen? But I am really excited. I think I heard you say and, and read in the memo that um, some of like the bike, the modular bike stuff is like really easy to, to, to pick up and, and kind of put off to the side or pack away temporarily for stuff. So um, is, is that understanding correct that that could potentially be um, that space where if we were to do modular bike stuff it could be. I mean, I'm thinking two, like food trucks and. In about two slides, I'll show you where I'm proposing this this stuff would go. Okay. I didn't include that in the memo, but. Um, yes, I saw that with the fire training stuff too on the overall site plan. Yeah. Fire training community use. Yes. Um, which I think is awesome. Is there any. So there's nothing permanent about the fire training stuff then that would. Work? No, nothing. Okay. Um, okay, I'll save my. Well, I do have other comments about this. For the, I love the traffic gardens. You mentioned the safety with the traffic gardens. Um, and you mentioned potential like classes and lessons and stuff for the bicycling and other things. I'd love to see us look into safety lessons I know for um, children with bicycles as part of the traffic gardens. I think that's one of the, the big benefits of having something like that is learning those safety skills and how to ride your bicycle with traffic and how to cross the, you know, cross the street or how, you know, however they're choosing to ride their bike. Um, and, you know, there are obviously, you know, third party organizations that do this. There's kind of a big one in the area that does a lot of these types of classes that I know my kids have gone through. Um, I don't know if it would be that or a city thing, but I'd love to see us explore that as part of that. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. 
Thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> so I had some some overarching comments too. I don't know. I see there's four more slides. Should we go through those and then and then do that? I, think I messed okay. up John's right. flow by pausing <laughs> here. That's okay. All right, go ahead. Almost done. We mentioned it real briefly. Um, the site could also be utilized for construction staging and um, training by our by our fire department. Um, essentially taking advantage of the opportunity that's there. Um, there's not a lot of sites that, that they can do some of the training they need to do, um, especially with some of their bigger uh, pieces of equipment. Um, so whether that's um, emergency vehicle incident prevention, ladder truck maneuvering and positioning, uh, or other scenarios developed by the training division, um, they expressed interest in being able to utilize that site um, intermittently throughout the year, um, which I think could easily work into the, the overall use. Um, additionally, as I mentioned, Public Works has mentioned um, interest by the contractor uh, working on the 85th Street Interchange to potentially utilize some of the site. Um, I'm just gonna cut right to it and move forward. Essentially what, I'm, what we're proposing is, and again, a lot of this, the, the actual layout and the math would have to be kind of verified. I wanna verify like, kind of thinking, after I made this slide, I was like, well, I should probably check that. Um, I assume this size parking lot would probably require a second exit, so I'd probably not be able to block the entire way out of the south. Um, so these, these shapes could look a little differently, but essentially giving a, a good suction of the space for laydown space, and a lot of the other space would be utilized for um, kind of those sporadic intermittent uses, the events, the, uh, the fire department trainings, movies. Um, when it's not in use, it could be utilized for parking rideshare. Like one of the, the comments that I received from a community member was rideshare parking has been lost since that site's been closed. Um, and so it's been driving more cars into the neighborhood, which people don't like. Um, so again, returning it to a parking lot. Um, so here's the, I put together an overall site plan which shows both the north half and the southern half of the site. Um, the north half has the more built amenities, those the skate park, pickleball court amenities. Um, it also has the restroom on site that we would activate and utilize, which I've kind of just ignored until now. Um, <laughs> so we would recommend that we would activate that restroom uh, for the community if we're gonna be riding community usage of the space. Um, but again, this, this upper area would be parking, essentially adjacent to the uh, skating and biking amenities and pickleball courts. And then the lower half of the site would be um, a little less active use on a regular basis, but when it, when it is utilized, um, it is a good section of space um, that could host some fairly large um, events and programming over there. Um, so with that, um, Summarizing things, um, pickleball courts, about $100,000. Skate park amenities, about $350,000. Kind of building in a little buffer for fencing, barricades, unintended, ex un unexpected expenses um, of about a, con a contingency of about $50,000 for a total of 500,000 one-time expenses to build out that space. Um, and then once we activate it and get it ongoing, um, we project annual maintenance to be about $35,000, and that's utilities, supplies, um, staff to go out and collect trash, clean the restrooms, et cetera. Um, so with that, I um, want to turn it over to you all and see, do you guys have any questions or recommendations, uh, or do you all concur with the recommended uses of the park and ride, or do you have any additional requests that we should evaluate before returning? All right. Councilmember Black? Sorry, Councilmember Sweet. I cut in front of you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I'll, get, I'll get better. Yeah. No, that's, 
Oh, she used to miss me too. <laughs> it's a hard one to see. Every, everything comes, every, everything comes around. Um, so a couple quick questions, uh, John, for you, if I may. Um, the first one I think is a fairly simple one, and it may be more of a comment than a question, but uh, you mentioned as part of the community events usage um, the possibility of flea markets. Um, we've also seen neighboring communities do like pop-up shops, and I'm imagining flea markets and pop-up shops are, have, you know, the Venn diagram, there's some overlap there, um, and we would be looking at the possibility of pop-up shop, some kind of temporary pop-up shop opportunities as well? Certainly. Okay. So that's obviously that was more. Not trying to be very exclusive with flea markets only, but yeah, yeah. other markets. Other, yeah, ways to. I've heard winter holiday markets or things of that nature as well. Um, Community commerce, yeah. We can come up with a nice general term for that. Um, on the fire usage, um, I do want to understand, and I'm you may not know the answer to all these questions, I do want to understand where else in the city um, we're developing um, this type of space for fire training because I we have had conversations recently about other spaces in the city where we're planning to do fire station training. Can I be reminded of what that is and what that looks like and and just how it dovetails with with what fire would like to do here? Sure, and we have uh, Deputy Chief Newbold is here to elaborate a little bit. Oh, the, perfect. The main discussion we've had has been about um, permanent props behind Station 24, which would be much more active um, training. But maybe, Deputy Chief, you can speak a little bit to the kinds of training you'd see happening on the park and ride. Okay. Thank you, City Manager. I do think that's what I'm recalling. Yes, thank you. And the intended use here is not to compete with any of those other projects that are envisioned. This is more incidental and more, I'll, I'll say, opportunistic if the space is available we would see some opportunities to do uh, types of training there. And so again, not to, uh, to conflict or supersede or, or anything with any other discussions that have been ongoing. Okay, great, thank you. I think that answers my question. And then last thing, um, John, if you don't mind, in the memo, you talked a little bit about how the construct, I'm gonna call it the construction rental, uh, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, um, the, how those rental payments um, I imagine could be used to offset some of the costs that we saw on the very last slide. Yes. Um, I do want to understand a little bit about what that use looks like specifically, like what exactly we have in mind. Oh, and, and my thinking there is I just want to make sure it's compatible. I do like uh, this. I got to see in your slide deck how you sort of have uh, that construction use. Mm -hmm near the ingress and egress and also away from uh, the park facilities. So I liked seeing that. I just want to make sure whatever we have planned in that regard. I think you called it, did you call it parking and lay down? Staging and lay down. Staging and lay down. Can you tell me just real quick what staging and lay down looks like? I will find out more of what their desire is. I always look at it as either storing materials or, or because it's not close to the I mean, it's close relatively to the interchange, but it's not as if it's like across the street and they can just, oh, yeah. we, need a, we need a bag of rebar, let me go grab that. Yeah, <laughs> just want to understand, bags. yeah, I just don't want to have you, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's side dumps going in and out of there every 15 minutes, I think we're going to, it's, you know, we're going to think that might be incompatible with our other uses. I think our neighbors are gonna think that's incompatible with uh, the overall uh, vision for the site. But if it's like, you know, if it's construction uh, 
personnel parking there and um, shuttling over to the site if it's uh, just storage of uh, long-term storage of equipment, things like that. I, I do th I do think if it can be compatible, it would be great to offset um, the cost of some of the other amenities with that. So do you have anything more to color to add to that? I do not, but I can find out more and come, when I come back next time and, and provide more of the, that information. Yeah. Um, especially uh, as I figure out some of the specifics of what that site might, how much space we could give them on the site as I work it out with what fire may need and what. Yeah, a 30-foot pile of fill and gravel and trucks coming in and out there, probably a, a no, um, but something that's... That was not what I was envisioning. It was more like equipment, like they need to store their, their loaders there or things like that. Yeah, something, just uh, compatibility is, mm -hmm. the, is the key there. Um, and if we could do it compatible, you know, something that's compatible and also offset uh, the cost of the community for these mm -hmm. other amenities, I think it would be great. Uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Sweet. Actually, he asked my question. Okay. Councilor Mayor Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Some comments and one question. One, John, thanks for bringing this to our attention and having this discussion tonight. I do think with when we close on the deal, that is a momentous occasion. So hopefully we somehow celebrate and and um, communicate that to, to the larger public. That's uh, keeping this under public ownership is, is important. And that, I know that was a goal for many. In terms of just kind of overall like priorities and for me, I want to see uh, that our focus and our priority should be park related uses, uh, primarily uh, recreation type of uses. And I want to see that we provide amenities for many different constituencies or user groups. So I like the fact that you know pickleballs, you know, tend to cater towards adults and uh, uh, senior citizens, um, and then the pump track and the skate park tend to cater towards our youth. And so I think that's important to have that balance. And so I'm looking for uh, when we implement that we have that balance, that where it's not just catered to one user group or the other, that it's, it's a mix of user groups. Um, we hear a lot from this, from, from seniors and, and, and adults about the need for pickleball. Uh, we have a, a really big need for skate parks and pump tracks and other uh, recreation amenities for youth, but we don't hear from the youth as much because they're not in tune with how to communicate with, mm -hmm. with, with adults, right? Um, so I think it's really important that we, we bring that voice and make sure that we, uh, we, we incorporate uses for them. Uh, I agree with Councilmember Falcone about permanent change, not making like permanent changes here, that these are temporary and doing everything we can to showcase that and communicate that and advertise that and, and reinforce that um, continually, uh, not just at the beginning, but continually throughout. Um, and then I really want us to be thinking about how we how we use this opportunity to test ideas, because this is a, t this is a, a an opportunity to test to test things and oh this works no this doesn't oh let's do this let's do that let's use this opportunity for that yeah. right okay this is a perfect opportunity for that on in, in regards to the pump track well, you know the thing that came to mind actually months ago because I knew this conversation was coming at some point was when I visited city of Bellingham and they have the waterfront there and it's an area where they're zoned for eight-story buildings and a mixed use, but that 
level of activity has not occurred yet. So they were like, how can we activate the space? They put in pump, a pump track and, it, and it's amazing. You go up there on a weekend or after, after school and it is crazy busy with kids and it's really cool to see. But it's not those modular things. It's basically, they chucked in a bunch of dirt and shaped it around and there it is. Um, and it's really cool. And then they have picnic tables and bathrooms and places for the parents and they bring in food trucks on, on the weekends. I would really encourage you, if you haven't seen that, to take a look at that. I will take a look at that. Um, and then with the, with, the, with the pickleball courts, and I think there's lighting there in the, in the parking lot today. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if that lighting can be used uh, for things at night. Um, I'm gonna have to drive by at night to see how bright those lights are. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I'm sure they're not bright enough for pickleball, but but can you put in different, you know, fixtures and go, oh, okay, or you know, something like that, and, and use that. That would be that would be of interest. Finally, I I I would think it would be a value uh, to to hear from other constituencies in the city, whether that's the park board or the neighborhood groups or the youth council or or the general public, just. It'd be great to hear from them about all this. This is an opportunity, um, and I just want to make sure that we're 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 listening on what the needs are. But overall, I support the staff recommendation. Thank you, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I agree with a lot of what has already been said, Councilmember Pascal. I agree with you know having a balance of different user groups and kind of testing out some cool ideas. This is a great opportunity to do that. I also agree with you know maybe reaching out to the Park Board, the Senior Council, the Youth Board, and I would add the Human Services Commission um, to that to those four, both in um, short-term and long-term planning. Um, like I mentioned earlier, this is exciting. There's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, I agree with some of um, Councilmember Black's comments about the construction, potential construction storage lease, would really want to better understand the impacts there. And, and um, if they're minimal impacts, I think that's a great way to offset some of the costs of some of these um, short-term uses here. Um, I loved that picture you included from Covington with the mural, the art. Not going to be surprising. Um, <laughs> I think I'm probably not alone. But, um, Love to see art. I feel like this is a great opportunity to do some public art and talk about testing out ideas. This is a great opportunity for us to do a very low key, very little red tape kind of public art, right? Like we have a lot of processes. We're a government organ institution, right? And so we, we hear it, we know it, right? We have a lot of red tape. We have, you know, all these different uh, layers that folks have to go through to propose an art project. But I would love to see this as an opportunity, given that it's a temporary use do something cool, you know, make it be a, a great community art project that's not um, not too expensive and not uh, too much work to do. That's just really fun for the community. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, anyway, I can go on about that. I feel like not only the ground, but I can see some of the modular things that like kids could get into to, um, painting some of that. I want us also to look at the shade here too. That's something that's come up in multiple permanent park infrastructure changes that we've made. Just thinking about like seniors out there playing pickleball. Can they, is there a place that they can take a break in the shade? Thinking about, you know, children out there riding their bikes. Um, is there a place that they can take a break in the shade? If that's not naturally provided around the edges, what can we do that's low cost and kind of, you know, easy for us to set up that we can have shaded options nearby these amenities as well. That's um, something that's really important that I've heard a lot from community members and also experienced okay. as a mom myself. Um, 
I do love and very much support. I know I've been an advocate for the pop-up shops, as Councilman Black um, mentioned as well. You know, the um, some of the ones we've seen in other cities, I think of like downtown Bothell, for example, they're more permanent of structures. They're kind of cute little, you know, buildings that they have and the location is key there and that they're downtown. Uh, and it's an equity focus on businesses, um, women and minority owned businesses and businesses that otherwise um, wouldn't have a, a physical location or have the resources to have a physical location. And so there's a lot of benefits there and I am uh, would, just want to know more if we were looking into that about really what um, kind of traffic we could drive to folks there. I'm concerned that we may not be setting ourselves up for success in this particular location. Um, but I am just to be clear, interested in that and for potentially other locations throughout the city, I think would be really cool for us to do. Um, so I'll continue to advocate for that. And I'm just looking through my very messy notes here to see if I'm missing something. Um, oh, I just looking at the, um, the overall site plan, I love it. Thank you so much for making this so visual. You made this so easy for us and we you know, jumped the gun a little bit with some of the questions that we had uh, for you. So thank you for being patient with us here tonight. Um, this is really, really helpful. I kind of see that blue rectangle as kind of a flex space, right? Like that's kind of what I'm calling it in my mind because it, there's so many different things that we could do there. So um, it's exciting to have all these potential uses here and to have still some flexibility to do some of that testing of ideas as well in that big space. So thank you so much for your thoughtfulness and your team's thoughtfulness in putting this together for us. It's really exciting to see. You're very welcome. Anyone else? Okay, I agree with the staff recommendations. I agree with everything that council, the feedback they've given you. I really think it's important to have these third spaces and I also, Councilmember Falcone and I both got excited about the mural on the asphalt. So how can we make this welcoming and aesthetically pleasing and a third space for our community? I think that would be great. Will do. Any other questions? All right. <coughs> cool. Thank okay. you, John. Thank you. Thank you. That's all we have for the study session. Awesome. We are concluded with our study session. Session following a study session on the ballot measure community survey draft questions and the Houghton Park and Ride activation options. Unless there is an objection, Council, I will be removing our second executive session to review the performance of a public employee from the agenda this evening. Any objections? All right, thank you. We are now in the time of our meeting where we normally hear from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing, or which there is none this evening. Please limit your remarks to three minutes, and the council will receive up to three <coughs> comments, each on both sides of each issue. If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items for the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please uh, dial star nine to be recognized to speak. C community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items for the audience is an important part of our business meeting and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker 
or express your disagreement with the speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are not allowed in council chambers during our meetings regardless of their content. Committee Clerk. All right, so first up we have Don Samdahl, then we have Ken McKenzie, and then Margaret Schwinder. Mr. Samdahl. Yeah, good evening. Um, I'm Don Samdahl. Do you need my address? No. Oh. Um, I'm board member with uh, South Rose Hill Brado Trails neighborhood. And as you might imagine, our neighborhood has a vested interest in the Houghton Park and Ride. It was interesting tonight throughout all the presentations and council discussion, the only mention about neighborhood associations I heard was from council member Pascal. There's all these other, we need to meet with boards, all these commissions, but there was nothing mentioned about having an outreach with the neighborhoods. Um, to give you a quick perspective, back in May of last year, our neighborhood association meeting um, had a specific topic about potential interim uses on the park and ride site. Um, city manager was there as well as former council member Nixon. Uh, who both promised at the time we will have a robust public outreach program to come up with ideas. We never heard anything since then until one of our board members happened through looking at information that this was on the topic for tonight. Our neighborhood association was never contacted for input. Now, having said that, um, looking at the proposals, I would say that for the most part, our neighborhood would be very much in support of most of the ideas here, but there really hasn't been an opportunity for anyone in our neighborhood and maybe other neighborhoods to actually sit down and look at the proposals. Um, I know there was a comment about the pickleball courts, the orientation, noise issues, maybe there's lighting issues. These are all things that are important to the people who live right around there. And so, um, you know, in the county's or the city's website says, neighborhood associations can offer valuable input to the city on neighborhood planning in areas like future and existing park improvements. So um, I hope moving ahead that you're not going to just take the proposal from tonight, which looks like it was very specific with cost estimates, a site plan, just move ahead to you know, getting con a construction estimate, but actually spend a little time, meet with the neighbors. Um, one suggestion I have is how about doing a, almost like a pop-up open house on the park and ride site, maybe um, March or something, and have, have it as an event, have people come, maybe have some displays about, you know, the pickleball and other uses and um, get some input that way might be a, a very good use of time. And I, I know our neighborhood association would be very supportive of, um, you know, publicity for that and everything. So um, that's all I have to say. We look forward to uh, engaging with you and staff on um, this important uh, activity. Thank you. Great. Thank you for your feedback. Mr. McKenzie. Wow, it's a new bunch. So, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and the Council, 
Thank you for, uh, for having this time. Uh, so I'm here because I'm really a big supporter of having a pool. Uh, and I really want to be encouraging about this based on the pros survey. And I sent everybody here an email right before the meeting that talked about how 60% of the people in the pros survey that were surveyed there supported the idea of a bond to pay off a pool. 60%. And 56% of the people surveyed for the pros survey said that it would be really cool if user fees paid off the operations. So I think you have a recipe for success in there. I think that paying attention to the 2021 pros survey in detail is actually a good use of time. There's a ton of information in there. I think it gives us a sense of optimism about the recipe for success for having a pool and maybe even some gyms in Kirkland if we pay attention to what we've already learned. And I want to encourage everybody to do that. What I learned in the campaign is people want to pay this thing off. They, they want to be done with it at some point. It's like the mortgage on their house. They may not pay it off while they're still living here, but they want to be able to see the end. And they also don't want to pay for other people's fun. They're willing to pay for their own fun. But unless it's free for everybody, they don't want the taxpayers to subsidize the operation. So let's go back to the pros survey in 2021, and let's also look at the PFEC survey that was done last spring and pay attention to that information because I think it gives us really useful ways to look at getting a pool and a gym here in Kirkland. Thank you. Thank you. City Clerk, I didn't catch the last name on. So it Margaret. is um, Margaret Schwinder. Thank you. easy to remember, it's Schwinn Bike. Oh, there you go. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you, Mayor Kelly Curtis. My name is Margaret Schwinder. I have been a resident of the Houghton area for over 35 years. And I, um, I come because I believe that we have some great, wonderful ideas about what happens at the park and ride. But I also know, too, that as an organizer of, of activities and working with committees that Leadership is really important, and I think we've got some really good leaders here in Kirkland, so I didn't get my letter in on time. I only heard about it two days ago, so I apologize. So I have four ideas that I think, and I have of groups of leaders that could take that on, just as an example of how easy something can happen on the, on the, at the Houghton Park and Ride. The first one is we have National Night Out, and I see that as an opportunity for neighbors to get to know neighbors from other neighborhoods. So why not have CAN come in and have a co little competition at the, at the park and ride and compete among the different neighborhoods and have the ice cream cart um, truck there for the prizes for the kids when they have their balloon throwing contest. Also, we'll give prizes to the parents or the, to the neighborhoods to decorate or bring something that speaks to them about their neighborhood. I think for us, we've got our landfill, so that's going to speak highly, and I can imagine what that amount of dirt would look like for a, a display. 
but give, give an opportunity for neighbors to meet neighbors among their own neighborhood. Another, neighbor, uh, another opportunity would be to have, as it was mentioned, recycling site and, uh, periodically like they've had in the past. You've already got the leadership of people that have already been doing it, just like you already have the leadership, leadership within CAN to have a representative from each neighborhood to come together to pull off a, the national night out at, at the Houghton Park and Ride. A farmer's market and a, sweet, and a swi uh, swap meet, utilizing your buy nothing population. We've got a population out there that doesn't want to buy anything, so have them be the organizers, and God knows what, he's, what, what kind of excitement they'll bring to the, to the plate. I also, um, bought, I was very involved in helping start the Eastside Time Bank, which is an organization to people gave back to help neighbors during the time of need. And this might be a great opportunity to reopen the can of worms with having a banner or posters for people to sign up to say, hey, you know, I could use a little help in my neighborhood and you've got a truck in your, in your neighborhood. How could we make that happen? And use the time bank members that are already been involved, involved. And I asked for a prayers for Joan Eats, who's the director of Eastside Time Bank, who is very close to death. Um, and she could use all the good spirits her way right at this moment. The last thing I know to recommend to you is my husband goes every Saturday down to the Redmond Town Center at, um, for two hours for the classic car Oops. shows. I'm There's sorry. There's like 300 and 500 people there. How about I'm bringing Kirkland's people back to Kirkland and have a car, classic car event at the park and ride? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You are out of time, but we would love to receive these ideas via email if you want to send it to City Council. I that would be, be happy to do so. All right. Thank you. I was so enthralled I wasn't watching the clock. <laughs> so, anyone else signed up to speak? No one else at this time. Okay, anyone in the audience that would like to address council? All right, we will close this and move on, and I believe next we are at the consent calendar. Uh, before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present the audit of accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,349,601.69 and bills in the amount of $5,375,551.52. All right. Is there a motion? Oh, Councilmember Sweet. Move acceptance of the, of the consent agenda. Second. So it's been moved by Councilmember Sweet, second by Councilmember Tim Chisholm. I believe we have an ordinance. Um, yes, we do. So uh, we need to do this by roll call. All right. Uh, Councilmember Tim Chisholm. Aye. Councilmember Black. Yes. Councilmember Sweet. Yes. Councilmember Falcone. Yes. Councilmember Pascal. Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Yes. And Mayor Curtis. Yes. All right. The, sorry, guys. I'm still learning. So the consent calendar is approved 7-0. Uh, um, now we're moving on to business. Uh, item 9A, update on child care for boards and commissions, city events in response to LRM 080323A. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so yeah, this is actually one of several responses, but this is the latest and about child care for boards and commissions at city events. 
Uh, we're looking for council input on the staff recommendation. Uh, here to walk you through that, once again, is our management analyst, Hillary De La Cruz. Welcome back, Hillary. Hello again, council members. Let me just share this screen. Um, it's good to, good to be back again tonight um, to talk about child care for board and commission members. And I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so tonight my presentation has eight slides for you and the follow-up to the LRM for child care for board and commission members and then to the events that was previously discussed in September 2023. Um, after an assessment of potential options to provide child care for board and commission members, staff recommend a child care stipend program for board and commission members. Um, and by providing funding to assist with the cost of child care during meetings, this policy aims to increase diversity in board and boards and commissions and make it easier for people with young children to be board and commission members. Um, I just want to highlight that these parameters here um are you know i kind of i missed a slide that i thought i had in here so i'm just going to um highlight that um a couple a couple of things on background i wanted to cover really briefly um before i'm not sure where that slide went apologies um were that in we had a couple of questions um in the previously about I'll just hop back to the slide we have a couple of questions about whether um, there could be any congruency or um, relationship between child care for board and commission members and the child care that's being provided for city employees that um, you've all been receiving updates about. And I just wanted to share that the current program for city employees is really looking at providing child care during daytime hours and isn't available in the evening hours. And so that isn't really an option for most board and commissions because they primarily meet in evening hours. And then I also wanted to share um, the update that is in your council packet that the salary commission, which is in charge of setting salaries for um, council members, recently updated the council salary package to include a up to a thousand dollars stipend for eligible council members to receive um, for childcare monthly. And so now with those pieces of background that may show up in another slide later if they got out of order, I'm going to kind of hop back to this parameter slide. Um, because I wanted to mention that these parameters here um, are the same, um, the age parameters are the same parameters that was, were set by the Salary Commission when considering the stipend that council members can be eligible for, for child care. And so the parameters on your screen um, for the stipend program are include that somebody must be a current appointed member of a city border commission. They must be responsible for the care of a child or children aged 10 or younger, or a dependent child or children with special needs under the age of 18. They must be serving on the border commission on personal time as an individual, not as a representative of an organization on paid time or not as a city council member. And they must attend the board and commission meeting for which the stipend is requested. Um, so as, as was noted in the council packet, I just wanted to highlight um, for council members and anyone listening, the kind of that third item there excludes council members who are already serving as a member, who are also serving as a member of a board and commission, which is two council members on the disability board and one council member on the tourism oh. development committee. Um, this would not add additional stipend for them since that would be duplicative of the newly implemented $1,000 monthly childcare stipend for council members. And then 
also the um, kind of members who are serving as representatives of an organization on paid time, which is primarily includes six non-council members of the Tours and Development Committee um, would also not be eligible for the stipend. And the reason staff were designing the program this way is just in a manner to recognize that those types of members are already receiving other compensation for their service um, because they're doing service on their paid salary time, whereas other members are volunteering their personal time and service to the city and community. And so with those parameters, um, this slide outlines kind of some of the details of the stipend calculation, and I'll talk briefly about the administration, which we're trying to really make this as low of a lift on members as possible. Um, so the stipend calculation um, details are here in the top, and eligible members would receive, um, based on those parameters on the previous slide, eligible members would receive a stipend at the rate of $25 an hour for meetings which they certify that they use paid childcare during. And this includes the actual meeting time, which would be calculated and tracked by the meeting minutes um, with the recording secretary of each group. And then it also includes something that um, we're calling buffer time. And so the buffer time is um, calculated at one hour of total time for in-person meetings, and that's kind of 30 minutes before and after each meeting, and then half an hour of total time for virtual meetings, so 15 minutes before and after each meeting. And in that kind of considerations, we included in buffer time the idea of, you know, traveling to and from City Hall and kind of the um, which is included in the in-person meetings, but also kind of something called adjusting time, um, just that time that when you either get to City Hall or when someone's joining from home that they need to sit down at their computer, get all set up for the meeting, and acknowledging that during that time um, it's also important to have childcare so that the member can be fully present for a meeting. And the um, hourly rate here that we have is a um, for 2024 is $25 an hour. And as was mentioned in your packet, that was kind of um, come to based on um, brief surveying of a few different employees who have childcare needs in Kirkland, as well as um, kind of some online Google searching. And it was also a number that was brought up at the salary commission meeting. And it's seemed from our, um, our information gathering that that's probably a relatively good amount for um, about two children. And so then the middle of this table here shows a chart of the potential impact, annual impact for the city of having this program. And before I jump into those numbers, I just want to share, um, you know, there are up to 70 total members across the city's 11 boards and commissions. And of those 70 members, 61 might be eligible for the stipend program um, based on the parameters that I shared before, specifically um, by nature of being on volunteer time rather than paid organization time. And so the table on this slide shows the estimated hours and costs for different scenarios that the program could take using the hours and hourly rate assumptions with an assumption also that boards and commissions will hold all of their regular meetings in 2024. Now we all know that um, occasionally meetings get canceled. And so this is a pretty conservative estimate um, we think. And so, the first column there um, that's all members, all meetings, includes a child care stipend for all 61 members of all meetings, regardless of in-person or virtual format. And this is almost certainly an overestimate since many mem members will likely not need a child care stipend, but we wanted to provide that for context. The second column removes the virtual meetings from the first column 
but still assumes that all members are using childcare for in-person meetings, and again, likely an overestimate. And the third column, the 25% of members all meetings, um, estimates that if 25% of board and commission members were receiving a childcare stipend for the attendance at all in-person and all virtual meetings, the annual cost to the city would be approximately $16,981. And the final column there estimates that if 25% of board and commission members received a childcare stipend for attendance at all in-person meetings, but not at virtual meetings, the annual cost to the city would be approximately $15,269. And I wanted to briefly highlight kind of the administration of the program. Um, the memo didn't go into a lot of detail, but we have a draft kind of procedure that we that staff would be following behind the scenes. And really the primary contact for a board and commission member would be the recording secretary of that board or commission. And then HR and finance and administration staff would also be involved in the behind the scenes process. But the hope, the hope would be, um, you know, in the in the startup um, that would happen if council decides to move forward in this program. Now there would be some checking in from the um, the recording secretaries to their board and commission members to see if they're the current ones are eligible, and then if the new ones um, once they're join the board, if they are eligible as well. And there would be a little bit of paperwork needed. We would need someone's W-9 to be collected as well as a way to um, ideally have direct deposit for someone or their information of where to send a check for the stipend. And then on a quarterly basis, we have a form that a, the recording secretary would send to the board and commission member themselves, a personalized um, form that kind of indicates these are the meetings that you attended, um, and this was a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting and the meeting length. So this meeting, for example, was you could get reimbursed, you can get the stipend for two and a half hours. Um, and then just having a checkbox place where someone can certify, yes, I did attend that meeting and I paid for childcare. We're not asking for members to show receipts of childcare since we know that that's often um, a hard thing, especially considering that we're imagining a lot of babysitting type childcare for this but we are asking for people to check that box and just sign a certification that they used paid childcare for that meeting. And then the recording secretary would receive that form or review it and work with accounts payable to process the paperwork on the back end. But hopefully that won't be too heavy of a lift for the actual board and commission members themselves. Um, so this slide outlines um, kind of our staff recommendation, and the staff recommendation is um, for 2024 to include $20,000 of initial funding from the Council Special Projects Reserve um, as a pilot, and that would, um, as you saw on the previous slide, that would probably, that would cover if 25% of board and commission members were attending all the meetings. Um, and just for your reference, there's currently $138,000 available in the special projects reserve. And then for future years, staff recommend funding the stipends as an ongoing expense as part of the 2025 to 2026 budget process. And if council wishes to move forward, in addition to authorizing funding, there would be some changes needed to the Kirkland Municipal Code. Um, stipends are going to be considered a form of compensation, and so that pretty every board and commission um, that's mentioned in the code has something saying that board and commission members serve without compensation, and so we would need to go make some of those updates, um, and staff can return to a future council meeting with the specific changes needed and the specific mechanisms for making those changes.
And then um, I have this slide and another one after it where I have a couple of specific feedback questions, but just wanted to also touch base on the child care for city events, um, as you saw in the memo, and as you, um, those of you who are on the council at the time, remember in September, we were talking both about board and commission meetings, but also wondering about child care for kind of members of the general public who want to attend city events. I mean, there's a wide variety of city events. And so we kind of were categorizing these events into two different types. Um, the city-wide events would be events such as um, city hall for all or really major citywide events and that are usually more of a one-off situation um, or an annual situation and so the recommendation would be that staff um, have activities available for preschool and school age children during those times um, parents or caregivers would ultimately be responsible for their children so we're not saying that they need to stand where the event, the where the child activities are happening, but for example, if they were at City Hall for All and wanted to have their child um, in the child events, you know, they'd be on the premises so that if something came up, that parent would be there to be the responsible adult for their child. And this is really similar to the current level of service being offered by Parks and Community Services. Um, the second recommendation is that for meetings, um, which are things in town, like town halls, um, city council meetings, board and commission meetings, um, there really are some significant challenges to off offering on-site, um, excuse me, on-site, not on-site, um, drop-in childcare. And these were outlined in your memo, but some of these challenges just include the, the physical space itself, the need to, if we were in city hall, use a conference room, which is also used for other spaces, the need to make sure that um, we're being cognizant of the the kind of barriers um, of making sure that there's badge access for safety, but also what that implies for people coming and picking up or dropping off their children, um, as well as some of the different staffing needs and knowing that we would need to have at least two staff at any time to follow our safe policies of making sure that no child's left alone with a staff person and um, most, as outlined in your memo as well, most count, most current programs that we offer have pre-registration, and that's something that would be a big challenge with a drop-in service. Um, and the registration is important to have the important safety information and contact information about a child that is needed if something were to come up. And so, because of those kind of limitations, um, and also because of knowing that. The city of Kirkland is already making sure that there are many ways for people to participate virtually in meetings as well. The recommendation is to continue ways for people to attend virtually and provide com public comment virtually. Um, and then also just to remind community members that written public comments are also reviewed by council members and listened to just as much as in-person public comments. And so the, um, on this slide, I have a number of questions that were also included in your memo, um, but just kind of the kind of two buckets of topics that we've talked about tonight. For the board and commission meetings, um, the staff would appreciate council's feedback. Um, should the proposed program providing board and commission members with a childcare stipend be implemented? And if so, does council have any amendments to the stipend program it wishes to evaluate? And does council agree with the proposed funding recommendation? And then related to the city events, um, does council concur with staff recommendation to continue offering youth activities at citywide events 
And does council concur with the staff recommendation to defer the issue of drop-in childcare at this time and to focus on virtual and written public public participation in city meetings to make giving comment more accessible? Um, so with that, Madam Mayor, I'll turn it back to you. And if anyone needs me to go back to a previous slide while you are um, providing your answers to these questions, I'm happy to do so. Thank you, Hillary. Any comment? Councilmember Sweet. Um, basically, my comment, I'm surprised Councilmember without phone. This is your LRM, as I recall. Um, oh, thank you. There's too many things to remember. <laughs> I do believe that we should move forward with this. Um, I think it is probably not going to be overly subscribed at this point in time, and I'm not sure we're going to achieve what it is we want to accomplish right away. But I, I think this is a good idea, and I think we need to try it. So um, I agree with the recommendation, and I'm willing to move forward with it. Thank you. Councilmember Tim Chipley. Thank you. This is the first time I've seen this, and I wasn't here at the previous LRM meeting. One, um, you know, I believe if we provide any one individual with $600 or more a year of compensation, that that generates a 1099K. And I would like to know how much back end work the city is going to be taking on by possibly having to generate IRS or tax. Uh, paperwork on people that really are not city employees. Um, one, if we do move forward on this, too, um, I would be interested in exploring a flat fee per meeting in compensation opposed to calculating it hourly. The hourly figures provided are not necessarily accurate um, in terms of how much childcare costs. Additionally, you cannot hire a childcare for two hours or one hour or even three hours. I mean, unless you got a hundred bucks, nobody's showing up. Trust me. Not for my kids, anyway. <laughs> I have a childcare device uh, when I want to attend meetings. It's an iPad, and you just put your child on it, put headphones on them, and come attend a meeting. Um, with with city events, um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm negative on this because I'm not. I just want to see it done right, and make sure that that we don't have a compliance issue on the back end where it's administering the program costs more than the program. Um, for city events and whatever we do with that, I don't think the city should ever take possession of a child, ever, from a liability standpoint. And um, so I would um, just not really in favor of a program where the city was responsible for the child for any length of time. Um, I'm not sure that's, I just don't know that we have the expertise to do that. Uh, but I, I do think this is an interesting idea. and I, I do um, <coughs> think I support further, oh, what, what are we voting on? Further study of this? I think I, you know, support further study of it, or further evaluation of it. All right, thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, thank you to my fellow colleagues for your comments. You've raised some really good points. Um, as Councilmember Sweet said, I think that's my first time saying that publicly. It sounds <laughs> weird. Councilmember Sweet said, um, this was um, an LRM that I made, last. I think it was last year, 
Um, and the original intent is really to help in our efforts to break down barriers to folks in the community participating with local government, right? There's a lot of different barriers. We've been um, working on a lot of efforts on this front, so this is one of many. This is one piece of that. Um, and being a mom, I know this struggle. You know, I know, I know that council merchant doesn't kind of jokes around having an iPad. I've been in that situation. I have nursed my baby here in council chambers during meetings. I have had three children with me during many council meetings, or during many meetings here at City Hall, and I still do at times bring my children to meetings. So I know that struggle, and it's not always realistic to have your children with you. Um, and so I do really appreciate the thoughtfulness that went into these recommendations. I can tell there's so much work and thoughtfulness and care for our community that went into this. And in my perspective, I'm okay if we don't have huge utilization. If we have one parent that can participate in the community that wouldn't otherwise, and they're bringing their perspective and that valuable input to us, I think it's of value. Um, and so I don't think we should necessarily measure it in terms of you know, proportion of board and commissioners that are using it. Um, even if none do at first, it was mentioned in the memo that this will be help part of our recruitment process as well, that we'll include this, um, that you know, it, it can help open doors. You know, there's many other ways that we're doing that, again, but this is one of many uh, ways that we're doing that. And so I obviously do support us moving forward with this. Um, I appreciate the thoughtfulness in the parameters and in the um, stipend calculator. I thought, Council Merchant, that was a really good point you made about, you know, having that, you know, if it's only an hour-long meeting, having like 50 bucks, including travel, might not be enough to actually hire babysitters. So maybe there's something there where we can have like a minimum. I don't know that I agree with just a set amount, just giving the variability and lengths of meetings, right? Even through, even in the same board and commission and also between different boards and commissions, the time commitment can really vary. And so perhaps there's some compromise there. We have a minimum amount for a meeting and then can be more than that for a longer meeting, right? That way um, it at least, you know, gets a babysitter to your house, right, to your point. Um, so I'd like for us to perhaps look at a, a model like that if we can uh, tweak that. Uh, you know, when I originally brought forth this legislative request memo, I had in mind, like I said, just ways, just broadly speaking, of breaking down barriers for parents, um, caregivers of young children to be able to participate in city government. This gets at a lot of that. I'm really proud of that. Um, City meetings were a big part of that, so I'm a bit bummed that, that we can't figure out how to make that work, but I get it. I get it because when I was a brand new council member, I actually spoke to some council members in other cities and a mayor in another city who had been doing this, and they had um, local Girl Scout troop come in and provide childcare, right? And I understand that where Kirkland is now, we're kind of too big to do the really informal stuff, and we're too small to do the really big, you know, programmatic stuff like that, and so, I think that's where we're at and why potentially right now is not a good moment in time for us to add, uh, to be able to provide childcare during meetings. Um, but maybe that's something that we could um, look to in the future, right? Um, as, as we continue to provide these types of services for folks in the community. Um, I, and you know, to your point, Hillary, when, you know, I first, I think I first started this conversation before the pandemic, right? Maybe the official LRM after we had the LRM process, uh, but having the hybrid option really does help with this as well um, as far as meetings go. So, um, and you also, I had a lot of questions earlier to staff and you have answered almost every single one in your presentation tonight, so thank you, thank you. Uh, for, for those watching, I had a lot of detailed questions and uh, staff did a fantastic job already answering them, so I won't ask them again. Um, the only addition I would have um, is that, um, 
uh, is changing the age, the maximum age from 10 up to 13. I Some of these meetings are in the evenings and they can be long meetings. I cannot, every parent parents differently. I know in my family, I would not be comfortable leaving my 10 year old, my 11 year old home for several hours in the evening. Um, and so would need childcare for a 10 year old, 11 year old, 12 year old. I would, I personally feel like 13 given um, the folks and families that I know would be a more appropriate age um, for that. I know that you know in the state of Washington, I don't believe there's a legal cutoff. There's some legal recommendations, but um, for leaving a child home alone. But um, so I would propose that we raise it to age 13 uh, to allow for those families that have those children that um, are in between those ages. And you d you did mention some documentation and paperwork. Um, I can say from firsthand experience. Um, as a council member with um, the new child care stipend or taking advantage of the new child care stipend that uh, the process for a council member is to provide a birth certificate to HR. Is that a similar, would that be a similar process for this? I didn't hear that mentioned, so I just wanted to confirm that that's. Um, great question. And I, if anyone from HR wants to hop on and further talk, we were planning on having it modeled as the same process that council members are reviewing. And at the time that I was working on this a couple of weeks ago, I think that that process was still being finalized. And so, um, but we are hoping to do a similar model. And I also see truck jumping on as well. Yes, and thank you. I think with the, uh, the current employee model, uh, we would be looking at whatever is considered an acceptable form um, of, of documentation. Um, and so we're looking through uh, those those documents right now, um, but it would be it would be very similar, so something like a birth certificate. Great, thank you. And I appreciate the parallels between you know trying to mirror this program after the the salary commission um, changes this year with uh, childcare stipends for council members. I do appreciate that. One difference I noticed. Thank you for clarifying. One of my questions earlier was you know do they have to provide receipts? So thank you for confirming that that will not be necessary. Um, is my understanding that city council members don't need to sign some things, you know, certifying that we paid for childcare to use this. And so I'm just wondering if that's something that's necessary, that's, you know, um, just an additional barrier and additional paperwork that someone has to, that both city staff have to complete and that the um, board, board member or commissioner have to follow through. So just would be wondering kind of what's the rationale for that and if that's really necessary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, I also support the staff recommendation, and Hillary really appreciate the thoughtfulness in the memo of uh, how you have structured this and really thought through what it um, what it takes for a, a parent of young children to serve effectively. And uh, I think we're going to learn a lot as we go through the process of uh, the administrative piece of this. As we look at things like the uh, change to the Kirkland Municipal Code to allow for compensation for um, our board and commission members. I would hope that any amendments uh, allow for a general stipend. That was something we've talked about in the DIB roadmap of saying we, we want to look at uh, eventually offering stipend for all of our board and commission members, not just uh, the, the child care piece of it. And so as we figure out the Municipal Code Councilmember Tim Chisholm's comment about tax uh, issues, we would have to think about that for a general stipend, so we should be thinking about how we scaled this up. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. 
Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so first off, I'm glad that we're exploring this. And when I was appointed to a, a commission, I didn't have kids at the time, believe it or not. And I remember I was on the commission when, when I did, and it, it was difficult, uh, especially when my wife had other activities and trying to find childcare. And I always thought to myself, why am I doing this? <laughs> because I'm having to pay to go to a city meeting. Um, and I just found that a very odd thing to, to reconcile in my head uh, as a volunteer at the time. So I, I'm glad that we're, we're, we're looking to implement something here. I still struggle with, the for, with calling it compensation because to me it's, it's someone who's volunteering, who's looking to come. They're not really being compensated. They're, they're a sitter's being compensated. So um, I don't know, how, that's so, just kind of building off of Deputy Mayor, I, I understand kind of this um, looking at compensation overall, but in this form, I, you know, is it really called compen compensation um, under the tax law? I was kind of doing a little bit of Google, Googling about that, um, trying to learn about that a little bit more. So just something to kind of think about and how we, how we message this. Um, in terms of events, I understand the complexity and, and that's, that's fair. I guess I'm always looking for opportunities to try something. And, and is there an opportunity where we can try something out? Uh, I understand you know, concerns about uh, taking, uh, looking after someone's um, children, but we do that as a parks and recreation uh, department, we do that quite often, I believe, um, with some of the programs that we have. So it's not like the city doesn't do this. We do do this, and we have the, the mechanisms in place. I guess I would be looking for a city event, one or two a year that we plan, that we know about, um, that's been successful, that we, that is ongoing, uh, where we could, we could try this out and see how it goes, such as like City Hall for All, is something that comes to mind um, and see how that goes. And then we can uh, monitor that and, and see if that's something that we could replicate uh, for future um, events. Uh, so I would just, I'm fine with the proposal today. I very much support it. I just would encourage us to think about that a little bit more. I would say, and I would add, uh, I'd given another example, uh, I attend, attended last year uh, City of Maple Valley's uh, comp uh, comprehensive plan open house and they had childcare and city staff were in charge of that and parents would come drop their their kids off and then they could go and peruse all the different uh, comprehensive plan uh, stations and provide input and it was a very successful event it was on a Friday night which I still I mean, it was amazing how many people turned out on a Friday night for a city meeting. That wasn't something that I would normally think to do, um, but it worked out good, and there was great childcare, and I'm actually gonna be going to it again in a couple weeks, and they're doing the same thing. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but it was a very successful event, so it can be done. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I just want, uh, would like to ask for clarification based on some of Councilmember Pascual's comments. Thank you for those comments. By the way, I think I remember us talking about that, and I may have also offered pizza, I think, during that event, too. Um, so that might have helped with the Friday night uh, attendance. Um, 
Uh, so if I'm understanding your question correctly, I, I think that's what staff is proposing, is that something like City Hall for All, there would be, I don't know what we would call it, but drop in, a drop in place for your child to spend time that's in a separate room at City Hall, so that, for example, I remember a few years back at City Hall for All, I actually think it's the first time that Mayor Sweet and I met, um, was um, where there was a, like a community conversation. This was like, I don't know, five years ago maybe. Um, and I had my kid with me and then my husband came and he had to go somewhere and he dropped off the other two kids with me <laughs> in this community conversation, right? And so it would have been amazing to have a space that I could like, my kids could, you know, down the hall or upstairs or whatever, be playing while I'm at that. And I, I think if I'm understanding correctly, that's what the staff proposal is, which also sounds like what Councilmember Pascal is mentioning. So I just want to clarify that staff's all, that's already in the staff proposal. Is that correct? Or um, yeah, that's correct for for those kinds of meetings that Councilmember Pascal mentioned, the sort of big meetings that are repeating that we can plan for. We would be providing you know child watch or child care. Yeah. Yeah. I would really like. I think it's really intriguing that you. I'm glad that you mentioned like comp plan. You know event right to get input town hall or i'm not sure what they're calling it but i felt like the same thing i know that town halls are like in the, with the city meetings but i think they can be quite different from say council meetings or board and commission meetings and other things like that that are smaller shorter regularly occurring and i think i saw in the memo um you know mentioned that usually public comment is only a few minutes so like that person's participation may only be for a short period of time where it wouldn't be as much of a barrier but i feel like what we're hearing from the community that we want to get back to with our town halls is more in person and you have that kind of like feeding off of each other listening to your neighbors and it's not just speaking for your three minutes but there might be an hour or two of engagement right where it might be more challenging to have a child if we have a a large thing like that like it's for comp plan stuff you know something like councilman pasco was mentioning i could see that like a similar model from city hall for all where we know there's going to be a good turnout lots of people here that we could have something um, similar offered at that where the, the caregivers, the responsible guardians are still in the building. Um, again, not as like a regular occurring type thing because I realize the capacity issue and staff resources for that. But if it's something we really uh, anticipate a good attendance that we're really trying to draw people in, I think that would be really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Tintin. Thank you. A couple comments. Um, I agree with Councilmember Falcone's point on 13 years versus 10 years. 10 years is a Washington State DCYF, Department of Child and Family Youth Services, recommendation that you not leave kids below 10 at home. That doesn't take into account the time of day and stuff that our board and commission meetings are at. So 13 years old is more appropriate. Two, um, I might suggest a flat fee of $100, and I'm only suggesting that for the ease of administration of a program like this, and if that I would only ask that a flat fee be considered um, if hourly is difficult to calculate. Um, additionally, certification of childcare that they actually use the money for childcare, I do think is probably unnecessary. These are people that we have interviewed. They're on our boards and commissions. They're not random people we don't know. And we should be able to trust them that they won't submit a form for $100 unless it's legitimate. We know these people, their other board and commission members will be there. I think there'll be internal accountability with these people we know. And we've already trusted them to be on a board or commission. So I don't see that as necessary. 
Um, I would also want to make sure that if we are compensating people on boards and commissions, that employment rights do not essentially attach. So if somebody was left a board or commission, there wouldn't be a termination or a potential liability there from an employment perspective. They're not becoming a compensated employee. And that would be um, a question I would have as to when compensation becomes employment. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, Hillary, great job on this. It, <laughs> it's like most great ideas, way more complicated than we anticipate until we get into it. Now, you did a really good job on diving down into the details and pulling it together. It sounds like council is in strong support, but we've got some outstanding issues that we need to address before we move forward. Is that your interpretation, Sidney? That's my interpretation. So we'd be returning with probably a resolution and some code changes, and we could make some suggestions based on the feedback here, and then council could amend the final product based on where a majority of you go with that. But we could highlight some of those areas, like you could choose this to be hourly, or you could choose this to be, you know, a flat rate, and then the council could make a decision. So we'll bring, we'll bring those back for you. Okay, discussion. and the only additional feedback I have is, um, you know, we might look at our communication and how we talk about our meetings that we want to create a child-friendly environment. As Councilmember Tim Chisholm said, I have no objection if a, a child is in here watching an iPad. So we might talk about how we can make sure that we're communicating that this is a welcome and you can, families can be here and small children can be here. And snacks. Amy, yeah, snacks, goldfish. So thank you, Hillary. That was a great job. And um, you could tell by everybody's detailed comments that they put a lot of thought into it. So thank you. Um, City Manager, we are moving on to 9A 2024 <clears throat> Council Committee Assignments. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so this is a, a proposal made by the Mayor and Deputy Mayor for the full Council for Council Committee Assignments. Um, Diana Hart, our Government Affairs Manager, is going to make a presentation that provides the overview. We'll then be looking for a discussion and Council to make a motion to adopt this, and then amendments can happen um, during that discussion. So with that, I will turn it over to Diana. Good evening, Council. I'm um, going to start my presentation with a similar slide to what I showed on my last presentation. Um, I want to highlight the, the um, two changes. The first is that uh, Mayor Curtis has um, confirmed seat on the AWC Large City Advisory Committee. And the second is Councilmember Falcone's nomination for consideration by the Governor's Office for appointment to the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. The next couple of slides will show the mayor and deputy mayor's proposed committee assignments that were emailed out earlier today. Starting with the proposed council work groups, um, changes from 2023 include the uh, addition of council member Tim Chisholm to the Lake Washington School District Coordinating Committee. Councilmember Black identified as chair at the conclusion of the 2024 short session for the legislative work group, and Councilmember Falcone replaced by Councilmember Black on the transportation ad hoc work group. For our city committees, Deputy Arnold was replaced by Councilmember Tim Chisholm on the Disability Board, um, and Councilmember Sweet um, will fill the vacant TDC chair with Councilmember Falcone to serve as the vice chair. We will implement this vice chair role as a chair alternate that would be non-voting unless serving in the chair capacity pending further exploration of code changes. 
And then looking to our external committees, um, the following changes are um, on K4C, the addition of Councilmember Tim Chisholm, the EMS Advisory Committee, uh, Councilmember Pascal filling the vacant alternate position. Um, new on this list is the Kirkland Chamber Policy Board. Um, Councilmember Sweet had been serving on this for a long time, and so we'll um, be replacing um, her seat with Councilmember Tim Chisholm. Uh, Ms. Wack uh, will have Deputy Mayor Arnold serving as a vacant alternate on uh, NORCOM, Councilmember Black serving as the new alternate, PSRC Executive Board, Mayor Curtis replacing Councilmember Sweet, the Racer Principals Assembly, Councilmember Falcone serving as a new alternate on SCA's uh, pick, Councilmember Tim Chisholm replacing Councilmember Falcone as alternate, and on Wire 8, Councilmember Falcone replacing Mayor Curtis. I will flag that the ETP still needs an alternate if anyone is serving um, on that table. Thank you, Diana. And oops, you're not done. <laughs> yep, I was just gonna say options I'm tonight are on. discuss, amend, approve assignments for 2024. Have an easy motion when you're ready. Um, after your action tonight, I'll notify all the subject matter experts at the city and the committee staff um, that serve on these or that um, do administration for these boards and commissions. Um, so that they're aware of the changes and we'll connect with you for any further communication. Um, and then they'll be serving as representatives and that I'm all done. All right, thank you. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just was eager to thank my fellow council members for their time and their consideration and their uh, flexibility on these committee assignments. I am looking for a potential volunteer to join ETP. Um, I see Deputy Mayor has something to say. Yeah, just wanted to let people know, unlike other boards, ETP has a weighted voting membership. Um, and during my tenure, it has mattered that Kirkland have both voting representatives there. Um, hasn't in recent memory, but uh, has several years back. And so I just thought it would be important that we have an alternate in case both Council Member Black and I are not able to attend. ETP meets virtually at 8 a.m. on the second Friday of the month for an hour, uh, we are talking about having in-person meetings uh, twice a year, um, likely on a Friday afternoon um, to then be followed by a informal social happy hour. Maybe that will help <laughs> help recruit uh, an alternate there. Thank you. Okay, Councilmember Sweet. I'm willing to step in for that role. Awesome, thank you. Uh, go ahead, Diana. I just, just an addition. I've been accepted as a. I'm sorry, I can't really hear. One wonder why. <laughs> um, uh, the only addition that I would make is that I have sort of been officially, unofficially, uh, as accepted as a um, member of MUPAC. So I'll be attending those meetings regularly. Um, as we move forward with water issues, um, I hope to work, be working closely with Council Member. Or with Mayor Curtis, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so I don't know if you want to put it on a list. And with that, I'd like to move adoption of the 2024 um, committee assignments. Thank you. Thank you. It has been moved by Councilmember Sweet and second by Councilmember Falcone to adopt these committee assignments. Do we need to make an amendment to add Councilmember Sweet? We do. I would suggest that, yes. Is there any discussion on the motion? Well, second. 
Thank you. It has been moved to amend the motion to add Councilmember Sweet to ETP. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, second by Councilmember Black. Any discussion on that? All right. The question is on the motion to approve City Council Committee amended motion. Thank you, guys. The question is on the amended motion. Oh, the question is on the amendment. See, I knew I was going to need coaching on that. To approve the amended City Council assignments. All of those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed? The motion is approved. Now the question is on the original motion uh, to approve City Council assignments. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. The motion and the amendment are approved. Thank you. I got a good job for the former mayor. <laughs> Diana, you're back for 2024 legislative session update, city manager. <laughs> okay, thank you. You said it very well. This is our first update of the legislative session for 2024. And once again, Diana Hart will be your presenter. Thanks again, council. Um, gonna start things off with a slide that's looked familiar um, from the last couple uh, or the last session. Today is day nine of this 60 day short session already and in addition to legislation that didn't pass last session um, that is eligible for consideration this year the house has introduced another 541 new bills the senate has introduced 478 new bills and our subject matter experts at the city have already completed 340 reviews of the 189 active bills on our tracker the legislature is in full committee mode with occasional floor action which will continue through the month before um, committee cutoff this means we'll have many opportunities to participate in public hearings over the next few weeks to advance the city's priorities. The governor released his proposed budgets at the end of last year. The legislature has introduced those budgets and has been uh, begun discussing them in committee. The legislature will release their own budget proposals later in session, but will likely build on the foundation of the governor's proposal. I do want to flag that the budgets are not, not quite as optimistic as they have been in the last few years, especially the capital and transportation budgets with a, um, all the high inflation that we've seen over the last couple of years. I'll touch more on the implications of these budget uncertainties later in my presentation. One unique thing happening this year is the initiatives to the legislature, and especially because there could be up to six proposals. The police vehicular pursuits has officially been certified and introduced at the legislature, and we expect similar efforts to establish parental rights in public schools and proposals to over overturn the carbon cap and invest, long-term care act, and capital gains. If the legislature does not adopt these proposals, they'll go to the general election to receive a vote of the people, um, or the legislature can seek to amend the proposals by putting counter proposals on the general election ballot. Um, they are not currently anticipated to choose an alternative proposal, but plenty of time left in session for them to take action that way. So with that, I'll turn to our 2024 legislative priorities. First item is um, on housing and specifically looking at our transit-oriented development. The bill Rep. Reed worked on over in the interim with co-sponsors Rep. Bai, with companion sponsored by Senator Trudeau, was heard in both the House and Senate committees. This latest proposal still doesn't quite strike the right balance to preserve incentive zoning, um, so we propose an amendment which was incorporated into the version passed out of committee. We anticipate some further refinement to ensure this balance is best protected, but this legislation is continuing to advance. Um, Councilmember Sweet testified in support at the January 9th hearing. Then turning to 
REIT. Um, the new REIT proposal for affordable housing was introduced by Representative Berg and Senator Frame, the current and former House Finance Committee chairs. This proposal is a state-only REIT increase with no local option. While increased funding for affordable housing is a good thing, we do have some concerns that this proposal may make it harder to obtain a new local REIT increment option in the near future. Taking a look at behavioral health treatment, there have been a good handful of behavioral health bills introduced. We're continuing to evaluate if and how they impact the city and our priority for a well-rounded behavioral health treatment system. Councilmember Black testified in support of Dingers 5853, extending the Crisis Relief Center model to minors. And Councilmember Black will testify on um, Brodowski's 2245 tomorrow, which expands the system to train behavioral health responders. And then taking a look at the 1% property tax cap, Peterson's uh, 5770 is back from last session and is anticipated to be the vehicle for the property tax cap lift this session. There is a decent amount of cautious optimism for this proposal, despite it being a short session into an election year. Due to the anticipated volume of participants at the upcoming public hearing, the cities are limiting their public testimony and are signing in support with strategically developed and coordinated panels to help tell a story of need um, during the hearing itself. So the city will just be signing in support. Um, and that concludes the core priorities. So next we'll take uh, a peek at the actions that we've taken since the beginning of session. Um, our contract lobbyists signed us in support of legislation that advances the city's sustainability strategic plan, uh, transportation plan, budget stability, and DIB roadmap. They also signed in support of two behavioral health bills. Um, multiple housing development funding or access barrier legislation was supported, and then we were um, signed in support of a handful of legislation supported by our ally organizations. The city did not sign the support of 2021, but I do want to flag it as um, it received public testimony by Chief St. Jean as he worked with the sponsor to develop the proposal to reflect the city's firearm buyback policy. Um, as we turn to the discussion section, I want to flag that the bill's tracker stated position in the packet is the recommended position by the legislative work group and considered acknowledged by council after this discussion, unless you want to pull any out for further conversation or adjustment. So as I hinted at the top of my presentation, the budget isn't rosy at the state level and the transportation and capital um, budgets, uh, the budgets with which we have funding requests are not looking great. Uh, the governor's budget proposal did not advance the city's hot crossing project, but it was still erroneously named. So we are working with WASDOT staff and our legislators to correct and advance um, this and advocate for the advancement of this uh, request um, for this session. Senate capital budget chairs are requesting that members cap their requests at just $100,000, which is down from a million dollars of years past as sort of a reflection of how healthy that budget is looking. We'll continue to advocate for and consider creative alternative ways of securing funding for our projects, but they may not um, see as much funding as we requested if they do make the final lists. Further, I-405 and SR-167 is also impacting and partially contributing to some of the transportation budget issues. Recently, the I-405 SR-167 financial plan report was submitted by WASDOT with a proposal to increase tolls to keep SR-167 on track, but pending external funding delay the North 8 in Renton and Northeast 6 Bellevue direct access ramps until 2039. 
There are opportunities for the city to support this proposal, but are currently awaiting Dolby Renton to lead on advocacy as they are the most directly impacted. The next item for discussion is the gun safety legislation. The city has received multiple requests from the Alliance on Gun Responsibility to support legislation like Senate Bill 5444, Firearms in Sensitive Places, and House Bill 2021, Firearm Disposition. So far, the legislative work group has decided to not have someone testify on behalf of the city for these policies, um, as they're not explicitly listed on our legislative agenda, um, but are interested in sort of a conversation by council if there's um, interest in potentially doing more um, on behalf of the city. And then lastly, wanted to give a chance for council to raise any other legislation that you are interested in discussing tonight. And with that, um, just a quick little plug for upcoming events. Um, the first thing is that we're updating the legislative agenda to reflect the nomenclature changes that um, council approved. Um, so see an updated version soon. Um, and then a little plug of information for the city action days, which are coming up um, the beginning of February. Uh, Mayor Curtis and council members Black, Falcone, Pascal, Sweet, and Tim Chisholm are registered to attend. Um, Andre Andreana Campbell, our special projects coordinator, and I will be staffing the event with support from the city's contract lobbyists. Contact information, conference schedule, legislator meetings, and any related talking points will be included in a briefing book that each of you will receive in advance of the event. Um, with the conference happening during floor this year instead of while they're in committee, we're likely to be utilizing more full floor polls than um, traditional office meetings, so things may feel a little different um, this year. Further mixing up things is the conference will be held at St. Martin's University and will be staying at the Hilton Garden Inn nearby. Uh, we will target to leave Kirkland early on the 7th to accommodate a prep meeting before the conference and our legislator meetings. The conference ends midday on the 8th, where we'll likely um, head to Olympia and have further meetings with legislators before returning to Kirkland, likely back by the early, early evening. Kirkland is coordinating our annual, uh, with our neighborhood cities, the annual um, East Side dinner. Um, we'll do a slight variation of it because they're likely to be in floor action and might not be able to commit to a long sit down dinner as they have in the past. Let us know if you have any scheduling conflicts that would impact your ability to carpool or attend any portion of the event. And with that, happy to answer any questions and um, turn things back to you for discussion. Thank you, Diana. Any questions or comments? Councilmember Black? Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, Diana, um, great presentation. Thank you for that and very clear. Um, and thank you for walking us through all that. Can you, do you mind going back to the previous slide which had your discussion topics? Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, Madam Mayor, I thought I would talk about the gun safety um, item on the on uh, Diana's uh, discussion list. Uh, one um, actually update. Um, maybe I should start with um, before I talk about the update. Uh, so uh, Diana mentioned um, Senate Bill five four 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 or fifty four forty four, and she also mentioned House Bill twenty twenty one. Um, I testified in uh, support in my individual capacity um, in support of uh, 5444. That would, for the first time in three decades, uh, give city municipalities uh, the authority to exclude uh, handguns and rifles uh, from playgrounds, parks, and pools where kids are present. Um, I was asked by the Alliance for Gun Responsibility to testify in favor of that through some of the other hats I wear when I'm not a council member. Um, and I did do that. Um, and then the update is on House Bill 2021. Unfortunately, uh, Deputy Chief St. Jean did not uh, make the testimony 
uh, list today in the hearing. Luckily, I did. <laughs> so um, uh, that is, 2021, um, essentially, it deals with the destruction of relinquished firearms. Uh, right now, essentially, Kirkland officers, uh, as part of our four uh, Guns for Gift Card programs that we've conducted since 2022, uh, Kirkland officers, after checking to see if a firearm is uh, uh, was used in a crime or is stolen. Uh, if neither of those two things are true, uh, then they can uh, arrange to have those destroyed as part of our annual process. Washington State Patrol can't do that. So this uh, House Bill 2021 would allow the State Patrol to be able to do what um, Kirkland officers are able to do. So I testified in favor of that. And luckily, as part of that, uh, um, I was able to address uh, and sort of further the discussion of what cities are doing with gun buyback programs like Kirkland. So I think I was able to cover some of the ground that Deputy St. Jean uh, would have covered. Uh, but I would like, um, when, we, when I've been asked uh, to support, I have been asked if we are able to support these uh, gun violence prevention bills uh, as a city and not just me as an individual. And I would love to have that authority, and I would love to share that with, of course, anyone else who's interested in testifying. But I would like us as a group to be able to testify in favor of some of these gun violence prevention bills um, on behalf of the city. Thank you, Councilmember Black. Um, before I call on Deputy Mayor, I want to finish this conversation. Um, we are getting requests to testify as a city on gun bills. It is part of our ally organization with the Alliance for Gun Responsibility. So I'm checking with council to see if you have any objections to us testifying on these bills as a council as opposed to an individual. Councilmember Tim Chisholm. Um, I don't have any objection to it, but I, um would just want to do a quick check to make sure that these bills are gun focused and not focused on the criminal justice system or protection orders. And those are bills I would want to examine with more scrutiny. And the um, some gun organizations are weighing in on criminal justice um, bills with um, stricter laws in place. And so if it's gun focused, yes. If it's not, then I would want to examine that. Thank you. Any other comments, Councilor Deputy Mayor? Um, when you say these bills, do you have a specific list? Because we have a, a number on that was in the packet that are identified as monitor, and just wondering if you ha have yeah. some specific which which any of us could have reviewed if we had any issues, and just wondering if you have specifics on bills you'd like to carry forward versus a broad carry. I'm a little concerned about a broad category of saying yeah, we're supporting all guns. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Madam Mayor. So, yeah, uh, just to be clear, it is not simply every bill. It's the bills that appear on our um, our report that's prepared by Diana and shared with all the members of the council before our meeting. And it's those bills that the legislative work group is proposing that we support. So uh, you would have an opportunity to look at what we call the SME, the Subject Matter Expert Report, um, and those bills related to gun violence prevention that the Legislative Work Group is proposing we support. Um, so that's really everyone's opportunity to sort of look at which gun violence prevention legislation um, you know, we would want to take a position on or be in a position to state the city's support for. Does that make 
Madam Mayor, if I may. Yeah. So it sounds like you're asking um, that you would, the work group would bring back recommendations at the next meeting of that list of bills? Yeah, so I we're not going to. that, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, and just to be clear for everyone who's listening um, and for other colleagues who, uh, we, we're, I'm talking to Deputy Mayor, who's former chair of the legislative work group, so uh, talking in shorthand. But uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So after the legislative work group meets, we would review the subject matter expert report. We would make a recommendation on whether the city should support a gun violence prevention bill. That report would go to the entire council, and the entire council at the next meeting would have an opportunity to, to uh, object to uh, a support position. Thanks. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone, are you responding to this or? No. Okay. Deputy Mayor's next. Okay. Thank you. Um, three points. First, thank you, Diana, and thank you to the work group. Uh, just going through the list of bills that were in our packet, you were already, short session or not, you're already going through a, a raft of, of issues, and it uh, is just an impressive amount of work, and really appreciate all that you're putting in. Of the list of bills, I had no. Um, Qualms on any of the positions. I did have a request on HB 2114. Uh, this is Alvarado's bill on tenant protections. Uh, based on the staff recommendation and the staff analysis, uh, Kirkland is supporting this. I think it makes sense to do tenant protections at the state level. But as this bill goes forward, I expect a number of amendments, and this would be one I would hope that we could get some updates on if this bill actually moves and if there's anything we've got to. Uh, talk about particular trade-offs, but given the initial uh, disposition of the bill in the committee hearing, I'd support what the work group's done so far. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, second point um, is on the 405 um, issue that you had brought up, Diana. I was briefed with um, Public Works Deputy Director John Starbird by Washout on this, and I agree with your approach. I've reached out to um, Council members that I serve with on the 405 Executive Advisory Group um, on um, what Bellevue and Renton might be doing and have not heard back yet. Um, but my intention is just to avoid um, uh, quorum issues to, when we do hear from that, send them to the work group to work directly on any advocacy that needs to happen. Um, finally, this year, because of some family commitments, I'm not going to be able to make City Action Days, first time in. Uh, ten years that I have not gone to Olympia, including the time where we had a Kirkland Action Days during a snowstorm that AWC canceled their event, which was great because we got lots of time with legislators because no one was down there while we braved the snow. I'm going to miss it. So um, ha have fun. I know you all will do great. We'll miss you. Council Mayor Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you, Diana, and thank you to the Legislative Work Group for your work on this. I really appreciate it. You know, look through that SME list of, you know, of bills, and it's a lot. Um, and so thank you for the work that you all put into this. Um, I, you may remember a recent resolution that we made um, regarding Lake Washington School District, and it came out of a conversation with our school impact fees that there were some um, legislation and some, some language in there that we said that we would support um, some of the agenda items on Lake Washington School District, and some of those conversations with, um, as a coordinating committee member that I had with the staff at Lake Washington School District, was that um, I offered to testify on some of those bills and to, you know, for us to um, provide that. So that was part of the discussion, was for us to support it at that level. 
Um, and so I see on here the recommendation to support things such as, you know, SB 5823, SGR 8207. Um, and so if we are planning on testifying, great. I would love to, to um, help support that. Um, and if we're not, I would like us to consider that just to keep our promise and the resolution um, that we would do that. And I think that could be a combination of an ask for, as far as support for writing testimony, um, I would leave that up to, to you and perhaps the school district um, if, they're, if they wanna help support that work as well. Uh, but I think it's really important that we follow through on that promise um, to support that. Thank you. And you sent those bills to Diana? Those bill numbers? Those are already on. Yeah, but the ones that the you're list. flagging. Um, yes, I mean, I think it's clear. It's clear which ones are, are related to the, that the school district is supporting. All right, thank you. Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, just a couple of process questions for Diana and or uh, Councilmember Black. Uh, when, when you come back on the gun safety legislation, will you note specifically the bills? Uh, because it's a 27 page long list of bills and it's quite daunting to go through. Maybe we should color code them. Yeah, and the, the second thing is, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we, we used to attach the SME um, bill spreadsheet to the council packet in the past. And so that will that be kind of an ongoing practice moving forward? Um, so the plan is going to do similar to what we did last year. We had it emailed out, um, actually put into your council net the Monday before. This gives you the latest version. If we have it in the packet, it makes it about a week and a half old by the time it gets to you. Um, so that's that's a way of getting the freshest information. Um, but we could, um, if you're okay having slightly more out of date information, we could go back to the packet. No, I'm 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 fine with how we do it for for me as a council member because I have access to it. But the public, uh, how can the public continue to see see it um, as well? Is it possible to have just a link where you kind of upload the latest and greatest so it so the public can still link to it and you just up you just refresh that that location yeah. kind of like how you do with the council um, meeting calendar. You know, it's just const it's just updated when it's updated. It's it's the latest one. That's all I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah we can explore some options for how to do that. Great. Thank you. Thank you, City Manager. We used to do an abbreviated version with just the bill number and our support position on it. So we'll talk about that in legislative work. Yeah, I think we'd want to think about the fields that we include, right? Yeah. So we can talk about it in legislative work group and develop some yeah. options. Right now, we just have that high-level summary that has the position um, that I have in the packet as just sort of some information that's kind of updated from meeting to meeting, and then we'll be doing the um, SME reviews uh, the same week as the council meeting. Right. Oh, Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I did want to um, uh, respond because Councilmember Pascal asked a good question, um, and it did make me think about the context in which. We're having this discussion about gun violence prevention legislation. And the reason we are is in, in, in years past, gun violence prevention has actually been on our um, legislative priorities agenda, and this year it's not. And the only way it appears is in our support of uh, our monitoring of the legislative agendas of some of our ally organizations that we've identified. And this is, in some ways, the reason this is coming up is because this is really that the first big 
instance of one of our ally organizations having a legislative agenda with some legislation that we are actually being asked to take a support on. So that's why it's coming back to the council in this manner and sort of being highlighted. Um, but absolutely, um, you know, one good thing is, um, is you know, it is, it is a long SME uh, subject matter expert report. But really what we're looking for, uh, what all of us are looking for is those um, bills that the legislative work group is suggesting we support. So in some ways you can sort of focus on that um, and don't have to pay attention to every single legislation, uh, every single bill in the, in the report, unless of course you want to. Um, but uh, it, I'm happy to uh, highlight um, those sort of gun violence prevention bills that the uh, the legislative work group is suggesting we support since it's not technically on our, uh, it's on, not on our formal legislative agenda. Thanks. Any other comments? Awesome. Thank you, Diana. I appreciate it. All right. We are moving to council reports. I'm not going to give anyone a break because we're almost done. So, Deputy Mayor. Thank you. Uh, I have one report on an upcoming meeting on January 25th. The East Trail Rack uh, will be meeting. One of the things we'll be discussing is a sub symposium event that the Rack um, is going to be doing sometime this year. We last did a symposium event in 2016 where we really laid out some of our vision for the corridor and what had to happen to make that vision a reality. Uh, that led to the creation of things like East Trail Partners. Um, and um, a number of planning and coordination efforts. We're doing a refresh on that this year. There may be a, either a, a financial ask on organizing that or a, something on the order of $7,000 or a, a staff ask for uh, additional staff support. But wanted to let you know we may be, we're discussing this and maybe I may be coming back to you with that sometime in February. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. And nothing to report. Councilmember Falcone. Wow, short reports tonight. <laughs> I want to get home too. Before it snows. Just a couple of brief highlights. Had some fun stuff recently that I just want to share, quickly share out on. Um, a couple weeks ago on a Saturday morning, uh, myself and a couple members of staff and um, some folks from the public, including a, a Kurt Dresner that's in the audience here, sorry to call you out, um, attended uh, the Shoreline Tool Library ribbon cutting. And for those who aren't familiar with what a tool lending library is, um, it's where, well, it can look like different things. There's some in um, Seattle in existence, and this is a new one that's in Shoreline. Um, but it's an opportunity for folks to, in the community to share tools and other things and building materials. And you can have like bike repair uh, uh, facilities there too. Uh, there are places that have classes, like you can learn how to use a tile saw or learn how to use a sewing machine or learn how to do all kinds of things. Um, so it's a really, really exciting opportunity. This is something that I've been tracking with my um, involvement, my local Buy Nothing group, you know, um, potentially doing something like this. We kind of do it informally already, some of us up on Finn Hill. Um, and this is something that I remember hearing when it was coming to Shoreline. I was really, really excited. And then uh, a member of the community um, brought forth this idea as well and was excited about it. So I think there's really good synergy. I know some other, um, uh, potentially some other folks on council um, have, have been engaged in this conversation as well. We, um, anyway, more, more to come potentially on that, but it's something that's really, really exciting. And just to see what's happening in Shoreline, to see the excitement for the community, the amount of volunteers that were there, 
that have been engaged, the folks from Seattle that came over to help, you know, hand the baton off to the community in Shoreline to help make this happen, the nonprofit and folks on the board at the nonprofit who were really excited about it, and executive director. Um, and it was really cool. It was probably one of, if not the coolest ribbon cuttings I've ever been to because it looked like a ribbon. It was like this beautiful, like red thing that looked like a ribbon, but it was actually wood. And then there was a woman who used a chainsaw to cut the, the piece of wood. So it was pretty awesome. Um, so just wanted to share about that, um, that I'm really excited that, you know, I think has so much synergy with, um, with our efforts on sustainability, with our issues of equity, with our issues of electrifying lawn equipment in our city. There's really just so much um, amazing synergy there. So I wanted to share about that ribbon cutting. It's really, really exciting. And we have, a, we have a need for this on the east side. And I think there's some great conversations happening on kind of potential short-term solutions and also long-term solutions for this that, that are pretty, pretty exciting, um, you know, in, in reclaiming building materials and repurposing building materials and, and in addition to a tool lending library. So more to come there. there are lot, there's lots of interest in different organizations and folks in the community for something like this. Um, potentially coming to the east side. Also this morning got to attend um, the Sweet Green ribbon cutting ceremony at the Village at Totem Lake. Myself and my family have been really excited for this, um, for this new restaurant to come to the, the Village at Totem Lake. We spend a lot of time there and so to have an option that's like um, healthier fast food, we can just go grab a salad or a grain bowl or something with some uh, good protein is really exciting. Anyway, not advertising. I just was. I just really <laughs> liked it, and it was so much fun, um, and I really enjoyed it. So I uh, just wanted to share that 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 was um, something that's we talk about a lot of serious stuff. So I wanted to talk about some fun stuff um, that's been going on. A um, couple of good things coming up: the Lake Washington School District Leaders Breakfast um, coming up shortly. The King County Affordable Housing Symposium. It's the second annual. Um, Mayor Sweet and I attended last year, the first annual one, and it was a fantastic event. Uh, the author from UW on um, homelessness as a housing problem issue, am I, I'm, anyway, um, of that book, you know, gave a really good um, talk at that, and it was a really great discussion, and there was just some great folks in the room who are really passionate about affordable housing, so really looking forward to that. That's gonna be a back-to-back -back day of the leaders' breakfast in the school district, and then um, the, had the symposium immediately following that. And then for the community, because I think the whole council is already aware of the Lunar New Year um, celebration coming up that the city's putting on on Saturday, February 3rd. I'm really excited for that. Lots of other stuff, but those are just some of the highlights that I'm excited about. Thank you. Thank you. Councilor Sweet. Um, just very briefly, Mr. Dresner is in a whole lot of our discussion lately. <laughs> um, I would be presenting an LRM this evening for the city flag that Councilmember Nixon talked to us about some time ago. He actually talked about that after a conversation with Mr. Dresner. Um, except for the fact that I had broken pipes all weekend, I would have had it done. But I will be presenting an LRM on that at our next meeting. Um, the ad hoc committee um, met this afternoon on defining a process and criteria for the issuance of the Kirkland City Council Outstanding Service Award. Um, I think we've hammered together enough words that I will be able to put it in written form in the next day or so, and um, we'll, we're going to just sort of proof it, and then uh, we'll be getting it to the mayor and ultimately to you all. And that is all. Thank you. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I'm going to ask for some uh, uh, grace here because I'm usually one of the shorter reports. I have a slightly longer report today because um, there's some really interesting things that have been going on. 
Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was, uh, and thank the staff for, was the uh, coordinated response to homelessness symposium uh, that was held here at City Hall uh, for um, uh, staff, council members and staff to really understand um, how to activate our coordinated response to homelessness program and specifically our, um, our heart team, which is homelessness assistance and response team. Um, just want to say it was really super well run. Really appreciate it. Thank you to all the staff that were involved. Um, and I would particularly appreciate the thoughtfulness reflected in the opening remarks by our very own city manager, Triplett. Um, the city's focus in uh, this coordinated response to homelessness, the city's focus on working to help people, not just dealing with a problem, um, and having that mindset. Uh, and the help that, to people that we're talking about includes both non-house residents, of course, um, but also house residents and, and Kirkland business folks. Um, I also really appreciate the specific instructions that were provided to council members and staff, and really indirectly the public on how to activate uh, the HART team uh, and this coordinated response. Um, and then I really appreciate the staff-led discussions of some of the more interesting uh, scenarios uh, that the city is, is asked to uh, assist on. And I was joined uh, by Council Member Sweet and uh, Mayor Curtis, uh, and I think they would uh, echo that it was a very valuable um, exercise. Um, I was also able to attend uh, last Wednesday uh, an executive leadership advisory group um, that was sponsored by the new Regional Office of Gun Violence Prevention at King County. Um, it's a new group. This is only the second convening of it. Uh, it's co-chaired by Mayor Harrell in uh, Seattle, of course, Executive Constantine, and then Council President Ed Prince, who I know a lot of us know and have worked with uh, on regional uh, uh, things in the past. Uh, this is an, uh, an advisory group that's principally focused on meaningful ways to break the cycle of violence uh, when it comes to street violence um, and the related gun deaths. Um, but it also is a useful forum which discusses, at least indirectly, prevention of gun violence related to domestic violence, suicide, uh, school violence and mass shootings, uh, and uh, political gun violence. Um, so if you have any ideas that you want to share with me, please do. Uh, definitely share those with me, and I'll try to bring those uh, to the next convening of that advisory group. Uh, quickly, the Eastside Transportation Partnership met last Friday. Transportation manager Doug McIntyre is just doing a stellar job of serving um, of uh, supporting uh, ETP. Uh, Doug, if you're listening, thank you. And um, he's provided a summary of the meeting to the council. It was pretty light agenda, as you'll see from his summary uh, for the first meeting of the year. Um, then um, another exciting uh, thing was uh, the Governor Inslee um, uh, convened a meeting about behavioral health and public safety. And I was able to pinch hit for uh, Mayor Curtis at that meeting last Friday. Uh, it was largely a one-off roundtable discussion uh, with the governor uh, himself regarding his office's budget proposals, grant funding processes and priorities, uh, and all specifically related to behavioral health service investments for the benefit of public safety. I will say I was extremely impressed with the governor's engagement. Um, it was um, it was a one-on-one -on -one discussion um, with the governor, and he was extremely engaged. Um, 
it was also a great opportunity for Kirkland to represent, um, or for, for us, for me to represent Kirkland, I guess, and talk about the importance of investing in programs and initiatives that help inspire and train the next generation of behavioral health professionals, which is something we've talked a lot about, City of Kirkland, uh, mainly because of our important initiatives with respect to crisis response and crisis clinics. Um, also, the importance of paying a living wage to behavioral health professionals. I was able to share useful anecdotes with the governor and the other uh, other uh, attendees, which are mainly other city mayors. Um, anecdotes from our own racer agency concerning recruiting staff, uh, as well as some of the staffing plans we've uh, that that have been shared with us by Connections Health, and that's who's going to be operating Kirkland's new 24/7 crisis care clinic. And I think the governor found those really fascinating. Um, and also uh, was able to share or discuss the importance of state budget flexibility for both community-based programs like the ones we're doing here in Kirkland, not just statewide programs. Uh, also, the, I think the city manager will appreciate this, flexibility for both capital expenditures as well as operational expenditures. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, I was able to share with the governor some of Kirkland's and Racer's uh, own ideas about coordination and cross-training among 911 dispatchers and 988 service providers. He was particularly interested in our ideas on that, um, and we'll be following up on it, so that was helpful. And then last thing, um, next Wednesday night, uh, we're having the next Racer's Principal Assembly. That's the Regional Crisis Response Agency. Um, and um, I'll be attending, and as usual, I'll share the materials circulated by the race of leadership with the council as soon as I have them. I usually have them a day or two ahead. And that's it. All right, good thank stuff. You. Thank you. Council Member Tinchiki. Uh Thank you. Not much to report. Last night I um, joined uh, Livable Kirkland at their meeting uh, and heard a lot of interest in the station area plan and making sure that we follow through and deliver the housing promised. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have nothing to report. Everything's been covered. So I will go to city manager. <clears throat> Thank you. So just a couple quick reports. Um, the first is uh, some of you may have seen that the um, PCERN, uh, Public Safety Emergency Radio Network, has now officially taken over the radio system for all of King County. Um, in December of last year, we officially sunset all the other for sub-area radio networks, and we've now completely moved to our digital new radio system funded by the voters in their levy in 2015. Um, the county executive is hosting a press conference to announce this tomorrow. It's invited all the mayors of all 12 cities that belong to the um, partnership that helped create the PCER. So uh, Mayor Curtis and I will be going down to stand behind uh, <laughs> um, and in unity with all the other folks that uh, made this happen, but that's a pretty huge um, advancement for public safety for both our first responders um, as well as our community and businesses. So I'm uh, pretty excited about that. As you know, I've had that EPSCA chair hat on for many years. So well, it's nice to see that part starting to come to an end. So uh, second thing with my arch chair, well, I'm not the chair anymore, board hat on. Um, I am the chair of the strategic planning committee. We concluded our work and made a recommendation to the full board that will be taken up in the next two board meetings that will then come back to the city councils. Um, the framework of those recommendations were to build more affordable housing faster. So we all do a lot of good stuff together, but how can we make even more happen and how can we make it happen faster? And so our focus as the strategic planning group was to be proactive but pragmatic. So I hope when you see those, you'll find them to be uh, thoughtful and helpful, uh, but they'll be coming back to the full council um, soon. Um, so those are my big... Policy updates, uh, I do want to remind the council that on Friday, February 2nd, for those of you who are able to attend, 
We are having the police academy, the truncated police academy, a host of the Kirkland Justice Center. And uh, so if you aren't signed up and you want to go, um, I think some of you have conflicts. Uh, you're certainly welcome, but that is happening and I'll be notified. So with that, I want to see if their council has any additions to the council calendar that you want to ask for. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So, Mayor, I just have a question, a follow-up to the um, Council Police Academy. I have it on my calendar for both February 2nd and 3rd. Do you know if that's... You know, I didn't look the next day. Okay. I don't know if the chief is paying attention, so it could very well be. I just went to Friday, so... <laughs> Thank you. Oh, oh, she's here. I see she's... <laughs> if Harris is nodding. She's eating. Thank you, Chief. <laughs> Dang it. Please, I have to go Saturday, too. No. Conflict with um, the other event? Yeah, the Lunar New Year. Um, it looks like they're back-to-back. -back. It looks like it's scheduled to end at 2 o'clock, which is when the Lunar New Year celebration is scheduled to begin. Got it. We'll move on to the next yep. one. Thank you. Great catch, Councilmember Falcon. Thank you. All right, so with that, any calendar updates before I finish my report? Doesn't look like it. Okay. So that's all I have, Mayor. Okay. Well, you said Mayor, and I looked... Look right there. Okay, so it is before 10 o'clock, and so uh, since our meeting has concluded before 10 o'clock, we have additional time to hear from the public. If there's any member of the public who wishes to address the council after they've sat through two hours of discussion, um, if so, please either sign up using the QR code, code posted in council chambers, the online public comment instruction link, or dialing star nine. Would anyone like to address the council? Okay, thank you. Um, so we will move to executive session to discuss potential litigation. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting in 945, only for the purposes of adjournment. So I advise you not to wait for us. So thank you, we are adjourned.